This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Terrence from Nice, France. Yeah, and from a long time ago on the podcast. Um, and we're going to talk about the Hopkins Manuscript, a novel by R.C. Sheriff, first published in 1939. It was later released under the title The Cataclysm, which uh, I think is probably trying to make it sell better. But I, I prefer a Hopkins Manuscript as a title. Uh, makes me think of a bunch of other books, including one I think we should do at some point. Uh, Manuscript Found in a Copper Cylinder. Anybody read that? Isn't that part one? Uh, well, Poe has manuscript uh, found in a bottle. Okay, uh, that's what I'm thinking of. What's and uh, Cornbluth has manuscript found in a fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there's a, like a trend there. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and there's manuscript found in a copy of Flatland. Yeah, and, yeah. There's a bunch of these things. Yeah, so it, it, I just saw yesterday, um, I was digging through an old magazine, and I found a story called The, the Little Red Bag. I'm like, this has to be... A response to Cornbluth's a little little black, black bag, bag, right? And yeah. it's like from ten years uh-huh. later. And once you start looking through old science fiction magazines, you see that they're really all arguing with each other and saying, "I can, well, I got one too." And there's well, like, well, 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 yeah, it's 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 what uh, Gary K. Wolf calls the genre conversation, right. where you have books and stories responding to each other and extending. And I mean, I mean, the the greatest uh, example because we've gone to it over to depth. To the death here is, of course, the cold equations and lots of stuff mm-hmm. written as response to that. But that's by far. I don't think not that's the, the only story. That I gets. don't think that's the most widespread. Like that one's the one we talk about the most. But the one most widespread, like once you start looking, is uh, null A is the the thing. Mm. So, yeah. so many Maybe. stories are like null, and then they just pick another letter, like null B, null F. <laughs> and mm-hmm. most of them are comedies, or they're like like little reposts. They're not like full on oh, yeah, yeah. engagements. There's a William. There, there's a William Ten story called Noel P. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like they it's just really, really they yeah. all really got excited about it, and and they're even responding. You know, decades later. Um, so it is. It's cool, and I think that fitting calling it the Cataclysm puts it much more outside of the science fiction conversation than calling it. The Hopkins manuscript, which puts it back in, uh, in a way, and the introduction, which I have sent to you guys, but I I wouldn't really recommend as a good read um, from an earlier publication. Uh, basically, says this is uh, there's two kinds of science fiction. Hard science fiction doesn't say it doesn't call it that, and soft science fiction um, it doesn't call it that, and this is soft science fiction. And then it goes on to say what what would make this hard science fiction um and it's basically a bunch of calculations to explain why uh why or how the events that happen in the book could have happened so like what is causing the moon to hit the earth uh in this book and the answer is it's never explained right um, no, it, you know, it's, 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 uh, it, it's magnetic attraction. Gravity. But he calls it like magnetic a... attraction. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even, even a, a really literary person, um, in 1938, 39, uh, must know that that's totally crazy, but yeah, it may yeah. be part of the, 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 um, uh, 
Hopkins, of the narrator's um, and his friend's knowledge of science. Well, I got to tell you, the most shocking thing to me in this book, other than, you know, it's a really good book and enjoyable, is that uh, when the moon does hit the Earth uh, and they find out it's got, you know, gold and platinum and all that stuff, um, the fact that he's making a, a quite a bold claim, Sheriff, is uh, by saying the moon has uh, petroleum. Because Oil and coal. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah, super I, popular as an idea on Earth even today. It, it's it seems to be the case, but you know we call it fossil fuel. It ain't fossil if it's from the moon. <laughs> right? No, yeah, it, it, yes. It's like he doesn't seem to understand or want to understand where what fossil fuels actually means. It means it comes from dead organisms, and the moon never had any organisms. Therefore, no petroleum. Well, Sorry, that seems to be the case. Like on Earth, we think, um, um, but well, there we, are non-biological processes uh, as did, theories did, for at did, least petroleum, and not necessarily for all coal. Right? Coal, um, we see like impressions of leaves and stuff, and occasionally, there's more than one kind of coal as well. So there is a, a abiotic, yeah, a, abiotic oil, but. Yeah, I, I think there's one like um, geogenic or something as well, right? That it's a it is a process of some something inside the Earth we don't understand, and right now there's all sorts of weird things happening inside the Earth we don't understand. No, no, but 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 even if you even if they were to exist, you would still need a source of undifferentiated carbon, carbon that's that, that's not locked up in something else. I wasn't I'm, not, I'm not defending the idea that the moon I, I, has I, I, petroleum. I, 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 I'm saying I, I, that he's I, I, saying I, I, that saying is he, interesting, be, given the fact that that's not how we talk about how petroleum works today. No, no. Yeah. Well, I mean, I googled abiotic oil and came up with some things, and I'm just rolling as a don't roll, don't I, don't roll your eyes as much as you, you look into it. It's I, quite interesting. No. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, but I, I have I have a BA in biology. Abiotic oil is. I bold. studied geology, my friend. I studied it well, for a I, long I studied, time. <laughs> I studied sure. literature, and I can just definitely say that this is uh, a good example of why this is social science fiction. Yes, <laughs> yes. Science fiction. Uh, look, um, I think I think that if if the moon actually hit the Earth, I think the glancing blow theory or the fills the uh, ocean with gravel theory. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad theory. Yeah, 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 that's a that's a that's a that's a bigger problem. Okay, so the moon is full of holes. So when it hits the Earth, it just fills the Atlantic Ocean. I love how the uh, the uh, weather isn't very affected. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like it, it nudges it aside from the atmosphere, and the atmosphere fairly quickly catches up, so he doesn't suffocate. Right, but even yeah. uh, but like you know, years later, you know the. The weather patterns uh, with no Atlantic Ocean are identical. Um, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think you're, I think I. Well, for one thing, the Gulf Stream would be. There's no disrupted. stream. There's, well, 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 what's the exactly. weather going to be like? It ain't going to be the same as merry old exactly. England. Yeah, yeah. So that and the, yeah. So you're not going to get you're not going to get that warm weather current into England. So England would have the have the weather more like Calgary. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, but probably a lot less, a lot worse than Calgary. It'd probably be more like central Siberia, right? Like uh, Moscow. Yes. Uh, but you just don't just, get where, where's the water going to be taken up from? 
right? <laughs> you can't, uh, you can't uh, form clouds if you don't have an ocean. Yeah. If you have just have a flat surface in the Atlantic, um, you're going to wind up. Yeah. I think you're going to wind up with the desertification of Britain in short order. Clearly. You can, you, you can wind up with a cold desert, which in other words, yes, you're right. You're going to, we're going I mean, to wind up with it's kind of implied that in the intro, I think one of the best parts about the book is the framing device, the front framing. Because mm-hmm. it's so cool. It's so cool. We've got the Addis Ababa people dismissing this this book. And then one of the one of the things that we get in the nugget there is that uh there it's also available in translation with corrected grammar. <laughs> He's making fun of Sheriff's making fun of his own writing not being good grammar. <laughs> yeah. Where I read yeah. the whole thing, there's no grammar mistakes at all, right? There's no grammar mistakes, but it made me think of the Royale Dahl stuff. Yes. It's probably corrected uh, grammar means yes. corrected uh, yeah. <coughs> all kinds of corrections, yeah. All, all yes. sorts of corrections, yeah. yeah. Um so so Skippy Infanti, you know, the podcast the main podcast I'm on, we had a live episode last Friday on Twitch where we where we brought up the whole that whole thing with Roald Dahl and changing books and the ethics and problems of doing so. So, and what was the conclusion? Well, we, well, we, there was no conclusion. Oh. We had a, I mean, but we were, none of us were really for this whole idea at all. We, we, we discussed the problems of changing things and not having the original text and where does that go? And then we got into a sidetrack of, well, I got a sidetrack of what about George Lucas and star Wars? Yeah. I mean, he, he changed star Wars all the time. Is he allowed to do that? Since, it, since he's, still, he's alive. still alive, it makes a little bit of a difference. Well, I, I, I mean, I got, I, I mean, I, I, I posited, well, which, which is that kosher? And, um, I was told, no, once, once something is made, it's not the authors anymore. It's, the people who who obtain it, so changing Whoever said it, that I, is a radical. Um, yeah. So you know, it is. It, so you know, so that there's there 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 are real problems with um, changing texts. Um, I mean, they have the right to. Oh, in other words, it, okay. I think they have the right to do so. I this is this is um what's called an evolution of my point when we talked about this recently. I think they have the right to do so, but. They probably shouldn't. I mean, there's no there's no way to stop somebody who has a copyright from doing it, or even if something's in public domain, because well, we discussed this last time, from doing so. And I and I and I brought up I brought up the whole uh, story of Fowler uh, and his sister and how what they did to Shakespeare. So this is not a new thing that people try to change text for any number of reasons and pass it off. Yep. People. It's just this is a new. Ver- this is just a. This is the latest iteration of uh, let's improve the text for the sake of the children. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a great topic, but I think I, I think you're right to bring it up in context of the Hopkins manuscript because that it it reminds us the frame is is not passive but active. Mm. It reminds us. That. Yes, and and every every frame is active to one extent or another. This is just more active, explicitly, mm-hmm. directly acknowledging it's more active than most are. And yep. I think that's a good point, Brian, that, I mean, if you have a frame, who's framing, why framing, why are you using this framing are good um, social science questions for interrogating a, interrogating a book. So, and I was wondering through most of this, well, what, as we're going through all the quotidian bits of um, Hopkins' life, like, why is that frame there in the first place? I mean, it kind of suggests an end point, but I was wasn't sure how, 
where were you going to get there? I mean, we have a cataclysm. Thinking, he gets okay, what well, he wants. He gets immortality. He does get immortality. He does. He gets exactly what he wants because he says that multiple times. It's it's a consolation, times. right? Uh, one Just of not the, for his chickens. Uh, no, his, his poor no, broody. His um, it's it's actually uh, it's an one of the most amazing things about this book is how cozy it is. How how much it is very it is very British. He's cozy. very good at what he's doing here. Um, one of the I, I hadn't heard Archie Sheriff beside before this but i started watching one of his other movies uh, last night and it's quite good um he's movie script writer that is probably what most people would know him as rather than a playwright because the plays you know they go on stage and if you're not in a time machine to go see them uh you're out of luck but movies they can last i'd seen the damn busters that's one of his movies oh really Um, right really right and a few other little things here and there the one I started watching last night is uh, The Night My Number Came Up. This is uh, based on a, a lot of the things that he, he was involved with script-wise. Or someone else wrote the book and he did the, the adaptation. The Night My Number Came Up is about... Uh, uh, it's a flight from Hong Kong to Japan with a bunch of British people who are um, all worried about... an. Uh, their aircraft crashing. And the reason they're worried about it crashing is because um, some vice admiral or wing commander had a dream. Um, and he says, I was, oh, I'm so glad that the airplane you're flying in is a liberator because uh, my dream, it was uh, the Dakota. Uh, the Dakota we just landed with, and I was a bit worried, but it, not, nothing in my dream happened. So I, I'm, I can feel free to tell you now. So they all listen to his dream and his dream is there's going to be uh, eight passengers uh, some of, uh, some of them look like this there's going to be one woman um you're going to get into uh, uh air, tr- some sort of trouble somebody's going to panic and then you crash into a mountainside uh near a lighthouse on the coast a snowy coast of Japan or something like that and they're like ooh that is a silly dream and then uh, the next morning, the Liberator is uh, down due to mechanical issues, and they're taking the Dakota. And I said, oh, that's fine, because we only have six pay pill. And then two uh, soldiers trying to get back to their base in Okinawa uh, want to lift. And I'm like, no, <laughs> you can't get on. So it's quite a good, um, fun film. It's a fantasy Ooh. in the sense that it has this dream element uh, right. overlining it. And it's based on a true story, apparently, of uh, one of those World War II uh, uh, wing commanders who who had a uh, prophetic dream that came true uh, that was published well, in the newspaper. Well, that's one of the things that I, I found very uh, unsettling and and interesting reading this book is it's from 1939, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what a what an interesting glimpse of Britain in World War II it offers. Uh, it, it's know. it's it is World War II in a certain sense, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I think World War. by his but by his life in World War One is I think informs yes. that whole last part where Pat Pat is him in a certain yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I mean, you 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 get the senseless violence, you get the bellum omnium contra omnes of yes, Europe fighting everybody in Europe fighting each other over for this thing in the moon, and they basically exhausting themselves for an external power um, why are they doing like it the oh, why are they doing it all right it's oh we got to uphold the british empire gotta uphold it yeah, and yep, also, all, all the thousands of people they're in, depending on us have to be safe they're depending on us that's right 
I mean, you're reading. It's not even a consideration. Oh, maybe they're just better off doing their own thing. There's a consideration that it's the logic of empire that once you start an empire, you can't let up on that gas or else things go south. Well, one of the things is that they have, you know, I mean, we don't, because this is not a hard science fiction novel, it's also not a hard economics novel. We don't really get a good picture of what happened to British uh, food stock. Uh, as a result, because Britain by this time was dependent heavily on its empire. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you're cut off from that, do they starve or do they lose so many people that it's not an issue? But I mean, when, whenever you read interwar fiction, you get this interesting Janus face of looking back at the at the horrific foundational experience of World War One, and then anticipating what mm-hmm. might come next. Uh, I mean, and and the World War One echoes are are of course you know fascinating. You get the use of the word armistice sardonically a few times. Um, the uh, the British War Minister um, is Jagger, but it's mm-hmm. you know of course you know, Jaeger mm-hmm. um, is is the basis of, and he actually quotes Bismarck by saying blood and iron. Um, no so, mention yeah. of these Italian fascists. No mention of the Nazi in charge during this period. Right? They all just yeah. slice up the moon. Uh, the British corridors has to be a thing. Oh, by the way, it doesn't mention it in the book, but on the map, Britain has its own slice as well as its own corridor, right? Right. right. Oh, of, co- of course. Got to have your slice. It's it's well, well, it's well, such I a mean, good that, social I, science I, I fiction mean, book. I mean, I mean that the British corridor is ostensibly to protect the colonies and was connected to the colonies, but it's 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 just a uh, just imperialism, just like everybody else. But I also love the idea of uh, if if you want to take this book as a setting, right? Like you say, let's imagine the Hopkin manuscript is true. We set it 500 years in the future or 700 years in the future like it is in the Addis Ababa uh, Museum edition yeah. we're reading it from, right? Um, this is uh, a really fun sort of steampunk because um, uh, there, there was a, a whole bunch of, you know, one of the untapped resources for great science fiction is video games. And ages ago, there was a a flight sim video game. The premise was, uh, we want to have a lot of airships like they were planning on in the early twenties and the thirties, uh, airships that are aircraft carriers. So you can have like a bunch of fighters and bombers and you land and these things never come down. Right. They just stay. Oh, you said about crimson skies. Uh, that might've been the name of the game. It's something like there was a couple like this and the, the, the cut the full motion video cutscenes premise with the idea that the it's it's like the earth but they don't have very many oceans so uh we just have have to cross land by uh airship and that's how this airship society developed right it's just to get you the premise of the game but uh what is their plan to get the the moon is they're going to railroad it right they're going to railroad across and if you look at the map sure. There are long strips, like seigneurial system strips, where you go and you just cut up the land, or even like London townhouses, right? You just cut yeah. up the land, everybody gets their strip, everybody gets their plot, and then uh, you can connect to everything, and rail- we're in railroading time again. But instead of like getting that actually happening, they decide, you know what we should do? We should fucking shoot, shoot our foots off, <laughs> both of them, and then... Uh, fuck ourselves even more by going into the, uh, into the countryside and getting every last person who could possibly serve on the battlefront to go do that. And then everything will be fine to serve the pride of these, uh, very, like, what limited politicians we see in here. Like, they're really bad, right? Yeah, there's no good politicians in this book. 
right. I'm on the I, side I, of this I, guy, Salim. <laughs> Say again? There's the prime minister who was good because he was um, right, on, right on the simple model of mutual aid. Yeah, and, yeah but, um, but he doesn't like. But he gets he gets he, he loses his position. He loses his position. So yeah, it's very cynical about that. But it's it was, not it was wrong. that Chamberlain, by the way, because he he's kind of Chamberlain-y, right? Sounds like him. I mean, he's like, we shall avoid a war at all costs. Oh, he he can't be go- a, he can't be government. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, that's, that 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 sounds like President Wilson. Um, yeah, how well did that there's work a, out? There's an interesting uh, movie based on a Robert Harris novel called Munich, which uh, tries to make uh, Chamberlain into a positive heroic figure, mm-hmm. uh, which is I, I I recommend. It's an interesting interesting spin. Um, but the, there's definitely a. Um, Little England uh, play here, where the important mm-hmm. thing is the village, the town, and and, and part of the narrative arc actually is uh, Hopkins becoming more and more convinced of this because yes. in the beginning he's he's very snide and disdainful to his neighbors, but yeah, he's uh, he's he's, he's he, I mean, I didn't like him for a lot of this book because <laughs> he is such he's such a prat. He's like, I'm yeah. supposed to sympathize with this idiot. I mean, well, he's, he's, yeah. he's, he's I I think it's masterful. Snobbish. He makes us. He makes uh, R.C. Sheriff is masterful at doing that. He makes us sympathize with this guy who is unsympathizable with oh, 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 in a oh, certain no, I sense, agree, right? But, yeah, but it's like it's like I, I because like, he's above his station. How dare he treat me like that? I am the man who won the chicken contest seventeen times. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Time. And you're you're. I mean. Listen, listen and he comes from nobility. At one point in the in the story, he says, "You know, my my grandfather had a title. My father had a factory. My father's factory is sold. I have the uh, I I can retire from being a school teacher. I right. indulge in my hobbies, which are telescopy and uh, chicken breeding. And then when the the Lord of the Manor invites him over in a probably." It's not stated in the book, but I think it's in a foresight move. Like he's saying, we're fucked, Uh, especially I'm fucked. And these kids that I'm taking care of, notice they're not his children. They're his niece and nephew, are going to need some local neighbor and not some distant government if they survive. And this chicken man (laughs) across the the street who we've never deigned to, you know, meet before, and not because... You know, it was full of contempt, but rather because it just never occurred. That's your best resource. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the late novel where he's, you know, bumming around London is, yeah, some the lady who's burning the Vermeers uh, to roast her dead pigeons that she gets from Trafalgar Square. Um, yeah. This is a very bleak uh, uh, book. It's it's very John Wyndham. Very um, mm-hmm. cozy catastrophe, and uh, it's way before John Wyndham too, like by decade or so. Well, it, was, it was interesting. There's this there's this nice bit which really gave me the uh, the John Wyndham feel when uh, he turns to the to the reader and says, "This is when the moon is about to hit," and says, "Well, I was gonna give you an epic description of this, but <laughs> I threw that out. And so I'm just gonna talk about how this impacted our little community." Right. There's a there's a uh, uh, an Apple TV series I think it's just called Invasion, um, which did something like this. Have any of you seen this? Mm-mm. No, no, I don't have Apple TV, so I've not seen anything on Apple TV, which I, annoys me because there's some things I want to see, like Foundation, yeah. see what they do, but I have not seen. No, it. no, no, no. no. 
Don't you see Foundation? Do you think it's bad? Do not watch Foundation. Okay. Don't watch Foundation. Foundation is offensively bad. Um, (laughs) Okay. But anyway, talk talk about Invasion instead then. Well, the the idea is you've got um, an alien invasion, but you see it only from the point of view of a handful of characters around the world, and they don't get the top-level view. Uh, They only get to see a few things. And it's interesting. You get to experience this on the ground level. Um, and we we don't ever really get a total narrative explanation of what's going on, even at the end. It's There's one season. Uh, it's a standalone story by itself. I guess it's going to go on. But, um, but you know, you follow a, uh, a family that's being torn apart by domestic, uh, domestic tension uh, mm-hmm. in upstate New York. You get a U.S. soldier in Iraq. Um, you get a Japanese computer programmer working for the Japanese space program. Um, and you just had a couple of British school kids. And you know the the camera never pans up, if you will. We mm-hmm. we don't we don't get the government saying this is what's happening, and you understand it all. I mean, like having Hopkins actually know this know the story right away. Um, you, you never get that point of view, but you just shift. So it's it's interesting. It's mm-hmm. slow because mm-hmm. you. Know, it, but I, I I recommend taking a look at it. Um, three uh, I, I three think, authors are called out in this book. Um, Rudyard Kipling. That's two of the books that are taken to uh, to the war, right? Good, good war right. material. Um, H.G. Wells, and I think explicit, uh, explicitly the time machine, not the time yep. machine, uh, the War of the Worlds. First man in the moon. War of the world. First man in the oh, moon yeah, should be. Yeah. First man in the moon. Is it called out? Okay. Um, it, it's very. It's very. I mean, you can see the connection. R.C. Sheriff, very much like John Wyndham. A little earlier, H.G. Wells. This guy's a student of H.G. Wells. His first script for Hollywood was the script for The Invisible Man. So he knows uh, Wells for sure, right? Now, The Invisible Man is yep. not this story, but knowing how The Invisible Man works, it it's a different book than what you think it will be, right? And it's because the characters don't behave the way we want them to if we're idealizing it in our mind. In this book... We've got a chicken farmer who's very inordinately proud of himself, and he's our narrator. He's not an action superhero. He's like a retiring, maybe gay, maybe not gay, uh, bachelor. bachelor of of some yeah, sort, kind. Bachelor sort of thing. Yeah, uh, uh, the sexual tension between him and uh, Pat is like, is that even like, is it a? It's not a courtship. He feels, kind of feels in, indignant towards other people courting her, but is that his uncle? Like he never objects to the uncle thing, right? Yeah. So, yeah. so there is a kind of strange distance between them. But this is, if it's like any book, it's like the War of the Worlds, right? Yep. That precedes it. That is, mm-hmm. and that yeah. is a high compliment because War, War of the Worlds is. Honestly, it's one of the best science fiction books ever. It's just sure. so innovative and devastating and and overturning. And that's what this is, too. Uh, it is overturning. We we come away at the end with, like, who is this uh, black and gray or brown horde coming from uh, Afghanistan? They're the, co- the colonists come back to colonize, right? And they say it's not even worth bothering to colonize England, <laughs> Not worth bothering because it's so cold and moldy. Everything rots up there in the rain. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. 
So well done. This is a really solid book. Uh, one Who's of the, the things third that... author. I can't. I, I brought three up, and I only mentioned two. I know there was a third. Well, there's, there's this cute bit where he's trying to read himself into calmness before um, before right. the moon hits. So he picks up Treasure Island, which right. is nice. yeah, that's yeah, that's it. Robert Louis Stevenson, of course. But he also very he also reads a, a kid's book. Uh, is it Secret Garden or is it? Oh, um, I don't think so. I'd like that to have happened though. Very um, thin. Oh yes, yeah. Mark Twain. Yeah, yes. Yeah, but there's, there's another one. Um, yes, he mentions Alice. There's, as you said, Treasure Island, and um, the Wind in the Willows. Oh yes, yeah. very cozy. It's yeah. very, very much very this book, right? Just well, that have adventures that. in your backyard, across the river. That, oh my, that, he's messing about in boats. <laughs> yeah. Well, you get a giant ocean layer dumped in his backyard, which he keeps <laughs> complaining about, right? When will the government take this away? That's a very yeah, H.G. Wells scene, too. Yeah, it, 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 it feels like like the government has bigger things to worry about than getting rid of uh, this ocean yeah. layer. Dude. Yeah, it, let's get ourselves into a war that kills ourselves. That's their big worry, right? It's it's, it's nice that he's such a he's such a flawed character, but... Um, the, uh, the thing it is, it is a, it is very much about government because at one point, um, when he goes to visit that guy, uh, who's very important and he's, you know, lording it over, <laughs> lording it over our main character, they are admiring his government factory built car. Wow. Yeah. Right. That's, that, that feels and, really important. They are, uh, they are communists in the most obvious sense right after, right? They all move into the house together. There's no, there's no, uh, anarchist communists or whatever, but they're, they're all, you know, the money is not the thing that motivates people. It's like, I need a cow and a bull. <laughs> I'll make, I'll do wonders for you. Uh, and then the, you know, the kid does the hunting and the girl does the housework and he does his ch- chickens eventually. He gardening. does chickens and gardening. Right. And, and then, you know, going to the village to trade this and that. It's like, it's, it is the cozy, uh, wind of the willows. Um, or, or if you want, it's Brexit. <laughs> because this is this is England standing alone. All right. I mean, they are um, independent, and several times we get the theme of self sufficiency. You know, mm-hmm. we did this on our own. We, you know, we don't um, we don't need the implicit is we don't need the empire. We don't need Europe. Right. right. We, you know, we raise our chickens. We've got our potatoes. We've got our, our village traditions. We're happy. Uh, yeah, we lost a whole bunch of people in a bunker, which reminds me of a great uh, atomic war movie. Um, but they're heroes. You know, it, it wasn't their fault. They did something heroic, and they saved the women and children. Um, so we're good. We don't need anybody else. It's the government that wants to engage with the world. That's the problem. They're 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 wrong. And, and um, isn't that the conclusion that we kind of have to take, unless you take yeah. the very long view? <laughs> No, I, I think I think this is this is you know an interesting anticipation of Brexit, um, but the, if you want to go back to War of the Worlds, though, uh, if I can channel my friend the mentor Eric Rabkin, mm-hmm. uh, he has this interesting argument. I was I was wondering how this might play out in this book, and maybe we discovered it uh, in War of the Worlds. In the end of the first half of the book is when everyone's expelled from London. And Eric makes a really good case that this echoes the expulsion of Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you know, that ties into Eric's idea about the, uh, the Eden complex. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wonder what, you know, what kind of similar 
religious echo or symbolic echo there is in London being quashed, the government leaves for Oxford, which irritates the narrator as a Cambridge because guy. Because he's Cambridge guy, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, is what besides the immediate geopolitics of it? I mean, what, what's the larger resonance? Does, does that is that the end of empire shifting from London to Oxford? To a small, yes, I think so because I mean, London is London is the metropole, the center of empire, the center of the great British world, and in the wake of this moon, Britain is diminished, and, and reconstituting in Oxford is a tangible sign of that. Of that diminishment. I mean, you have government agencies basically. It's a retreat, right? It's, it's a retreat. It's a retreat. It's a retreat from empire. I mean, they still want. They're still desperately trying to cling cling on to the empire, which makes you think of um, the the um, basically post World War II Britain, where they're trying to hold on to things and clearly failing. And you get the Suez Crisis, and their and the impotence of Britain to try to hold on to their empire is made clear. <clears throat> and they have to. They've given up. They've given up India. And now they get to give up just about everything else, and it's all falling through their fingers. And so the movement to empire to, from from London to Oxford is basically the the, the empire is finished. And if you look at the if, if, if you look at the theory. list of countries that get a slice of the moon, right? Canada, United States, okay. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Finland, Holland, Belgium, Ireland, Britain, France, Germany, Poland, Hungary, Spain, Italy. There's a lot of countries that don't get a piece, right? The, the, On the map, it, the Balkans are considered the Balkans. Where are the Russians? No, they're not in, right? Well, the Soviet Union. Exactly. Soviet, Soviet they're not Union in. Nothing. Um, I mean, it's 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 it's. it's I, I I think he's taking the piss and he's showing, especially because once we get to sell in the limited, he's showing the bankruptcy of the idea of a European-centered world. I mean, yes. I mean, his. I mean, the, the Europe. Thinking after the moon, I guess we're still we're the center of the world and we're still important. And any challenge to that is taken very badly. I mean, the whole idea of the USA saying, "Oh, we should just divide it by size of country," so we'll take half the moon. And the and the narrator is horrified by this prospect. Mm-hmm. But given the strength of the United States, um, they could. I mean, I, well, they're not really. We, they play no role in the book, though, right? No, no, no. no oh, oh, we don't even well, hear what happens to them. Well, that's the uh, isolationist part. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's mentioned at the end, but I think Paul, you're 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 absolutely right. Uh, I mean, I'm, I've been thinking about this a bit. Um, you know, the the and the penultimate part of the book is the fight among Europeans for uh, conquest of uh, of the moon, um, but the ultimate part is the rebellion of uh, the colonized peoples. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. It's, it's partly done along religious lines and partly done along anti-colonial lines. I was thinking of anti-white European lines. These fucking colonizers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're fighting the black people in Europe. That's right. right? But I I was thinking of this. I've been reading a really interesting take on World War II called "Blood and Ruins," which makes the case that uh, that World War II was the last colonial war. Uh, The idea being that the uh, Axis powers—Japan, Italy, Germany—sought colonial dominions from the beginning or from before the war, starting in the 1930s. And they sought that because that was what they saw the world doing. If you look at the rest of the world of the colonial powers of Britain, France, the United States, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's, it's an, it's an interesting argument because he points out that world war one 
ends with the triumph of colonial powers. Um, you know, they expand in the 1920s. They get larger and larger holdings. You know, Britain and France expand their Middle Eastern holdings and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and yet at the same time, at the, at the end of World War I, saw a boom in anti-colonial activism. And one of the great ironies if you want, is at the Versailles Treaty, a very young Ho Chi Minh mm-hmm. tries to get to see uh, American President it's Wilson. It's in the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and Wilson turns him away. Um, but so, you know, World War II actually ends with accelerating decolonization. And as you point out, Paul, this is where we get to the Suez Crisis, you know, where the U.S. is not going to let this proceed. Um I think that it is interesting to see that again, you know, you're in the you're in the interwar period, you're looking ahead and you're looking back and seeing that as uh, a natural consequence of the war. I think that's that's an interesting uh, bit of uh, futures thinking. Oh yeah, he was de- he's definitely speaking of Salomon colonials in World War 1. Have any of you read the Michael Moorcock Land Leviathan novels? Mm-mm. No. No, it's a series. I thought it was just one. I, well, I think well, well, the the um, well, I mean, the Oswald Bastable winds up going through a couple worlds, and that's the morning winds up when, and basically, the colonial powers rise, the colonial colonizations rise up because there hasn't been a World War One, and things have just gone on, and the mm. there's a there's a black liberator who builds a giant uh, super tank to take on the colonial <laughs> powers, um, and um. So yeah, so I mean, I was thinking when I was thinking of Salem, I was imagining this this super super giant tank of doom coming. Um, there's a lot of other things I think about. Um, we haven't done it yet, um, Jesse. But you know, I was also thinking Farnham's Freehold. Oh, definitely. After after war, after the nuclear war, the um, the Islamic nations rise up and take mm-hmm. over the world. That's uh, especially uh, the United States, though. And actually. There's a book, and I can never remember the name of it. It's a fascinating book, a really fun, short little book, fully illustrated. Um, it's on archive.org somewhere. I can't remember the author. I can't remember the name. But basically, the premise is it's uh, the Islamic uh, republics of the future uh, are go on a massive um, exploration quest to the distant uh, lands of North America and visit the ruins of the once great United States. Uh, oh wow! It's a super cool book, very very funny and interesting. And they, you, they, the one of the images that's so striking from it, as from so many science fiction pulp covers, and from from uh, what's it called, the uh, Escape from New York, even, but also mm-hmm. um, uh, from the Monkey Book. What's the Monkey Book? Monkey. Uh, <laughs> Moon, are you, are you talking apes, planet of the apes, planet. right? The image of the Statue of Liberty in ruins, and they're we've got this little uh, Islamic Dow off the coast of New York, looking at the ruins of of uh, New York and saying, "What what is that statue for?" And they don't know. We as readers yeah. know everything, yeah. right? And they uh, visit yeah. Washington D.C. and like, "What is this?" And it's like, "Wow, cool." <laughs> Right, because oh, speak, speak, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So speaking of that, I put into the uh, chat mm-hmm. a Gustav Dore image that oh, you should yeah. probably nice. put in with this thing that the news, the New Zealander mm-hmm. who visits the ruins of London. I was, I was thinking as I was listening to this book, I hear about the ruins of, and then saying about oh, it, we're basically going to wind up with this being all ruined and mm-hmm. gone, and 
I was thinking, I was, I thought me like that's I, another I John Wyndham book, right? Uh, that's uh, well, the chrysalids, which is also yeah. chrysalid is mentioned in this book, I believe. Uh, the word. Well, this is, I mean, naturally, it, it, like everything, it comes back to Frankenstein. Um, in, in Frankenstein, the monster reads four books mm-hmm. and they form into the, into the Byronic hero that he is. Um, and one of those books is Volney's Ruins of Empires, mm-hmm. um, from the seven, early 1790s. And that's the book which, uh, you know, emphasizes that empires fall and everything will fall and immerses the protagonist in all these ruins of empires. Um, so I, that's a, that's a, a dream that haunted Britain, um, British culture. It shows up in, well, you know, War of the Worlds. It shows up mm-hmm. in a lot of invasion narratives. And, and in a sense, this is, this is an invasion novel. I mean, it's only at the very end, uh, that it becomes a human invasion novel, but the, the, the crux is an alien, non-human invasion novel. <laughs> There's a literal planet invades the earth. <laughs> that's right. And yeah. then the hordes, uh, that we've been keeping repressed with our Navy, Invade. I was, I was reading this to, or parts of this to my to my daughter, who mm-hmm. is a uh, um, uh, an emergency planner, and uh, and she was, you know, hollering with with dismay at the government's plan. Right, you know, we're going to keep this secret until it's too late. Oh, uh, dude, uh, that's uh, I think one of the lines that I saw in Alec. I didn't read the whole thing, but I I think it's paywall or whatever. It was the comparison to uh, that David Sirota movie. What's it called? Down. Don't look up. And yeah. at points in this book, I'm like, oh, yeah. this is very Don't Look Up. Yeah, I was um, thinking of that, too. And it's funny. Have you seen that movie, Terrence? It's yes. A, yeah. Netflix film, right? Um, so mm-hmm. when, I, when I reviewed that movie, it was really funny. I, like, I watched it, and then I was tweeting about it. And my, my line was uh, pretty good. <laughs> um, and, you know, I went on much more than that. But for some reason, people were, you know, searching for reviews on Twitter I got a, like a lot of backlash for people saying pretty good. And some of them didn't like that. I thought it was pretty good. Some of them thought uh, that was like understate understatement. Mm-hmm. Like that's the greatest thing ever. And others yeah. think that it was overstatement. <laughs> it was, it was a piece of shit. I'm like, well, I thought it was pretty good. It was pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. I mean, there are things about it that uh, I think work less well. Uh, but overall, I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I, I don't think David Sirota is the greatest thinker ever on this topic. I think he did a pretty good job on it. Um, but, uh, this, that is the essential core of that movie is this idea that, you know, don't look up. Literally, it fits with this movie, right? Uh, or this oh, book. Yes. <laughs> don't look and see the moon that's coming closer. Um, the fact that early on in the book, they, all the stuff jockeying at the at the moon club getting the he's all the things that we're worried about early on in the book after the introduction and you know we get into the book proper um <laughs> he's worried about losing his money losing his farm on the on this oh, uh, project oh, that might go over yeah. budget right <laughs> and um Cause he, he has, telegraphs cause it so he has well guaranteed it yes the sheriff is really good at <laughs> yeah well, working on the, uh, I mean, if there, this, uh, I'm not a guy who goes into a book and says, you know, like teachers do, what is the theme of this book? I hate that thing, but we get it a lot. But if there's a theme in this book, it's pride. It's all about pride, pride. right? Excessive pride, yes, hubris and, and, uh, yeah, and pride. But, um, 
I mean, it works in on almost every level, right? Uh, when I explain World War One to my students, you just have to remember it's all about pride. The reason all of this is happening is because of pride. And, like, pride is not as good as you think it is because what if you're wrong about your level of, of uh, quality over other people? What if you think your culture is better than it is? That could be a big problem. And we don't think of, like, the, uh, who is responsible for World War One? you know? It's that damn anarchist who killed the Archduke. No, it was well, pride. And here, the moon doesn't come down because of pride, but some people think it does, right? The local church minister is thrown into a duck pond <laughs> because of yeah. the the local people, um, you know, playing darts on Sundays. <laughs> Love that. Oh my yeah. god! So this is this is a very very good book. It it deserves to stand beside, you know, the John Wyndham classics and H.G. Wells. It's it's not, it's not you know the exact same tier as War of the Worlds, but he's doing a damn fine job with this book. It's really good. It's oh, amazing you- that it's not been you know well publicized prior because it, it had a couple earlier lives, but it should have been in print this whole time and people talking about it. I think. Well, it um. It, it reminded me of a of a of a, another of a Doyle novel, of, Which uh, one? the Poison Belt. The Poison oh yeah, Belt. yeah. Um, I mean, and that's you know, like the I'd say the first two thirds of the book feel like that. Mm-hmm. You've got have you have you all read this? Or I have not, read? but I've I've done not. the scans and I've got all the illustrations. And oh, I've, I, I think you'd be great to read. I uh, think we should do it. I, I do. It's I don't the want any, prof- second or third Professor Challenger book. Is, it, is that I, right? I can't say Professor Challenger without kind of wanting to put an exclamation point on it and yeah. speak like Brian Blessed. Professor Challenger! Yeah, well, we've done a <laughs> Professor Challenger book already, right? We did yeah, The Lost World. world. And yeah. it was – it. Uh, look, I like Sherlock Holmes like everybody does. But uh, people focusing only on Sherlock Holmes have really been missing out because that very, very stupid man named Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is really smart, Right. He is he is incredibly dense about some things. Oh, it's almost yeah. like pridefully blind to things that are really incredibly yeah, he, obvious. He he fell for the um, the oh fairy. The fa- the, the, he yes, didn't just the fall fairy. for it. He was so, it. He so was Poison the. Belt, he he uh, made Poison those Belt girls. Has, so Poison Belt has the you has the world uh, heading into a patch of space, which includes chemicals that are poisonous to Earth, um, and Challenger gets uh, a bunch of friends to his house. And they plan on what to do. Um, and uh, almost the entire book takes place in his house and in the area around it. Um, and so you get, you definitely get hard science, you know, trying to figure out you know, what's the chemical composition of this belt and how do we. And then you get some social science. Uh, and then to my surprise, I mean, I guess this is it's, it's later, Doyle. You get a lot of, of, of actual melodrama and emotion. Um, you know, Challenger and his wife, man, that still makes me tear up. Um, but I, I'd, I'd recommend it. I mean, this is, yeah. this is, this is very similar in, in that sense and probably mm. response to it. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I mean, it's cause I haven't read it, I guess, but I'm going to just put in the chat, the two, uh, versions and they're both illustrated one from the strand and another one from a, a magazine that I never heard of, but is exactly the kind you would think that they'd be picking up at the newsstand in the local town. You know, when they go to sell their eggs at market, it's like a, you know, a boys on adventure style magazine called Scoops. <laughs> Stories of the wonderful world of tomorrow. 
And, uh, dude, it's, it's super fun. Super fun premises. Um, you know, nice. and there's, there's actually a ton of books like this that are under known. There's one, there's one book that I've got makes you so much want to read it. It's, uh, it's, I think it's called Stowaway on Mars and it's by <laughs> John Wyndham, right? But it's not one of the Wyndham handful that we all know. It's not the Kraken Wakes. It's not the Chrysalids. It's not Day of the Triffids. It's not uh, the Cuck- uh, what's Cuckoo one? Midwich Cuckoos. Midwich Cuckoos, Midwich Cuckoos. Yeah. which is, uh, oh, my God. I hadn't read that book until recently. Well, oh, last yeah, year that, the year that's before. really good. What a yeah. great book, right? Just it's so cozy, so catastrophe. And in in the same way that this if you haven't read that book, Terrence, it's amazing. Um, yes, I read that. I, I read it because of the film. Um, I liked yeah. John Wyndham anyhow. Um, yeah, uh, there's so many good movies. Children of the Damned. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, the that original is the, so good. The, the, yes, the original is good. The John Carpenter's the least good one, I think, <laughs> um, which is kind of scary uh, because uh, even the sequel, which is not based on the book, is really terrific. The black and white sequel from I think three years later. Um, village of the Damned. Is, vill- is yeah, uh, there's Children of the Damned, Village of the Damned. I'm not sure what the name is, but it's one of those two. And they're both, uh, even the second one, which is not based on the book, and it sort of changes things slightly, um, it's still, like, really powerful. It, they're very, uh, that one, I guess, is almost, um, it's almost like, uh, uh, who's the guy who did the, um, Pertwee-inspired series. It's not coming to me. But uh, uh, Doctor, Professor, cha- not Challenger. He's like that. Quatermass. Who's the Quatermass, Quatermass guy? Quatermass on the pit, yeah. Nigel Neal. You Nigel know. Neal. It's very Nigel Neal, that uh, sequel. Which, mm-hmm. you know, that's a very high compliment if you know Nigel Neal's work. You can't go better, yeah. Dude, um, the fact that a movie sequel to a book is good, yeah. <laughs> that's impressive. Um, maybe the black and white helps, but, um, boy, that's a terrific book. And so there, there's a ton to be, uh, you know, unearthed in the, uh, wreckage of the 20th century still. <laughs> um, mm. and, uh, the fact that this book was like totally off the radar, I don't know what, I don't know what people are thinking. Uh, only thing I could explain it to myself was that there's the, a, a prejudice against, Against stories set in a future that never was, you know, um, because this book, when it came out, would have been immediately um, destroyed well, it's by in the history. But yeah, because because of World War II, because of you know the where it's set in 1939, right? We 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 know it goes seven years in the future. There's no mention of World War II, right? So by 1945, this book is irrelevant in a certain sense. Of course, it's not irrelevant, really, because it is a it is an amazing artifact of its period for us, and it's a really good book. But just being a really good book and being an artifact of a period isn't enough for most people. Uh, I think I, would, I, I think that's I the think only argument that explains why it doesn't stand shoulder to shoulder with all the John Wyndham books. And I mean, one American publishers don't do a good job of getting British that's stuff. That's true. Or, but I think it, it, it should it should win an audience for now in the U.S. for two reasons. One is the um, the disaster, and we do love disasters. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's an I, I, 
honestly, some of the lines in this book are like for the ages. Like we went on two days holiday to the moon. Holy hell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we're railroading on the moon. Like what the hell? <laughs> no, I think, I think you now see that. The, the other, the other thing that, makes it i think so potentially appealing here is that we've got this tr- this emerging thing in american science fiction of uh cozy comfort as sure sure mm-hmm. which i this has man, a bleak try- ending though <laughs> it's yeah, most of the book yeah. is nice but i'm trying to understand it but i i i don't get it i mean it it irks me and i start wanting to i mean like i can't like, becky chambers just depresses me um you know I, i'm like god i don't i don't want a nice cup of tea and a and a quilt you know, but, but but some people some people do, especially in a pandemic. I, I mean, that, there's a real appeal for that sort of cozy. I know. I'm, and, and, I'm and guessing for, you don't like those cat mystery books either, where the cat solves I don't. the mystery. I, I'm, a, I'm a cat. Person. I know. No. And and uh, you know the the cat who you know no. I, you I, like cats I, who walk through walls. You like cats. That's who, a different. Those yeah. are different things. Philip K. Dick no, style cats, but not cats solving mysteries. I, I do want to say how how important tea is in this book. How people keep you know that's 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 very stereotypical, but very very good. Yeah, yeah I'd like to know where. He, I mean, eventually he's going to run out of tea. Like, how where is he getting his supplies of tea? Yeah, I mean, he can't mm. he can't have his coffee without without uh, milk, right? So he goes and digs right. in the ru- wreckage of the ruins. Uh, milk to, you can get, but coffee is going to be hard to get. Coffee and tea are going to be impossible to get with the moon. Uh, to like be that. fair for this book, though, half the time when they're talking, the word tea comes up, they're not actually talking about tea. They're talking about lunch, right? They're talking about dinner. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I'll have egg for tea. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Those lines yes. come up. So, I, I so that's the kind of grammatical mistake that the guy from 700 years in the Af- uh, University of Afghanistan yes. is going to be fixing. He's a, he doesn't know what I he's talking about. about. Yes. Yeah, no, no. Uh, there, there's another. It's the empire, uh, which is so awesomely you know inferred at the beginning. It does stretch from or uh, the society, the community of Earth. Yeah. stretches from Afghanistan, which uh, I took special note of because another former British colony, right? Again and yep. again. Um, yep. And uh, also uh, to Addis Ababa, which is uh, Italian colony, right? Um, mm-hmm. We've got, uh, we've got a, a complete overturning. And, and I love the idea that the archaeologists going in and, you know, investigating and he's looking for some dry firewood. He finds this thing and then it's, yep, this place is uninhabitable. <laughs> Of course, you know, <laughs> which is exactly what they say about the. Uh, there's a line near the end um, where he strikes. A, he says it'd be like stri- striking a match in the middle of the Sahara, right? And one of the things that strikingly doesn't come out uh, after the moon falls is the lack of the moon light every night, right? We like we don't time. get it every night, but when we get the moon out, we can read by it if we're lucky, right? There's a lot of light coming from that reflection, and without that, uh, it, it it's a pretty solid book. I mean, um, I I was very much in favor of this book. How <laughs> about any of you read Robert Jackson Bennett? Mm-mm. Um, uh, Robert, City of Stairs. Yes, exactly. I was thinking yes. City of Stairs while I was reading this book, Terrence. City of Stairs is a fantasy novel where the former colonial power is itself been humbled and the former colonial possession that basically taken over the their their, their colonial uh, oppressors and they're trying to keep them from uh, causing trouble 
So we have we have an investigator finding out that oh the clone that there's a that there's gods afoot and that that the the, the former colonial powers might be trying to power might be trying to rise up again. So that novel has a lot of things to say about colonialism and reverse colonialism and um, basically how how do you how do you deal with uh, a society that's oppressed yours? Is it right to oppress them in turn? And if how, but how do you keep the peace? So it's a really interesting series, and I kept thinking about that in mm-hmm. in, in, in context of Salim and Salim coming to uh, humble the humble England and the rest of the colonial nation. Uh, you're saying Salim? Salim? It was Salim the Liberator, wasn't it? Salim. Yes. I, I I was hearing Salim. No, Salim. S e l a m. Salim the Liberator. Salim. Uh, yeah, but uh, maybe that's just tells you where my brain's at. The yeah. moon is the yeah, Liberator. Yeah, you, you, you're you're <laughs> over the moon for it. Um, I I'm on Team Moon. Smash that earth. I was thinking of of contemporary applications. So that made me think of the theory of the Great Replacement. Oh. You better watch out because um, oh, yeah, yeah notice they're not foreigners. even going to replace these these Brits. But it's not worth it. The conclusion is uh, Britain is is so damn yeah. uh, unappealing. Who would want to replace uh, whoever was there? Uninhabitable wastes okay. of forests yeah. and wild dogs. What was uh, on my mind? Um, for for two reasons was uh, climate change. Um, thinking you know that this is a an interesting kind of anticipation in the sense that it's the human response to a um, uh, a non a non human event, even though climate change is caused by humans. Um, and you know, and that was that's you know it's interesting to see the different responses how you get governments agreeing to to the science and then disagreeing with it, you know, to about sharing it. Uh, you don't, because it's a interwar British novel, you don't get giant corporations playing a role. Right. Um, and, but it's, it's interesting to see the different you know, layers of cynicism and suspicion. You know, we're going to, the, there's the one bit about the newspaper account, which says, uh, Oh yeah, it's just going to glance off of this. And people are like, Oh, that's, that's bullshit. They're just you know making that up to calm us down. Um, and then, you know, the which is correct. It is it is yeah. bullshit, even though it happens in the book. <laughs> so I, I thought I thought I thought that was that was interesting. Mm-hmm. The, the other yeah. the other reason is just the weird coincidence, and this is my time, I guess, if I if I can say this, uh, right. is my my new book uh, comes out this month um, called Universities on Fire. It's about the future of higher education and climate change. Um, but the, the the reason I'm mentioning this is because of my publisher. Which is Who's Johns Hopkins University Press. So uh-huh. I had my I had my own Hopkins manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah, uh, so this will be out in seven months. So the audiobook will be available by then, right? If they make it, if, well, if it sells, uh, didn't they do? It. They did one for your previous book, right? The Tantor. Yep. Yeah. 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 yeah cool. Yeah, which was. But I do. I do have a question about another book. Uh, have any of you read Neil Stevenson's Seven Eves? Yes. Not me. No. But I know the moon blows up. Yeah, on the first on the first page, first chapter, first yes, uh, first no paragraph. Um, and it's and what's interesting is, like this book, uh, we don't get the reason. It's an unknown agent who does it in Stephenson's book. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we, 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 I, I, yeah. Which makes me think of uh, other t- catastrophes w- which just happen, or by happening in agency, like the. T- you were talking about H.G. Wells in the Time Machine. I was thinking of that terrible remake of the Time Machine movie where oh yeah, we blow up we blow up the moon and that causes the fall of oh, I never civilization. Saw that one. It's, it's not terrible. a good movie. I'm no, it's terrible. Don't 
don't watch it. I'm describing it for you and spoiling it you for me, Jesse. So you know, remember, like, the typical example of this is say, you know, we've got this great Philip K. Dick story, and it was made into a movie once with a lady with three breasts. So you know what we need? We need to drill a hole through the center of the <laughs> earth <laughs> so that there can be an action scene later. Oh, yeah. No. Oh, God. Oh, That's God. where you, that go, a, you go back to the movie theater rich. concession stand. You throw the popcorn on the ground. You go to the box office. You get your money back. And then you come back with a can of gasoline. You pour it all over the lobby. <laughs> and then you fucking light it and throw yourself into it. Because um, there's no good that comes from people writing shit like that. That's like you're ruined. Wasted. You're it's it's like uh, it's it it's almost as bad as you know burning the original copy of the movie. It's just horrible because it conflates the issue. So yeah, there's no reason to do this. The reason this book has a moon crashing is because it does something. It's important. <laughs> it is a symbol, um, and it is never explained. It doesn't need to be explained. I'm cool with that. Um, I want to I want to think about the poison belt again though. I haven't read it, Brian, but. Um, one of the things I have read is the introduction to this book uh, that I, I'm sent to you guys, and one of the things uh, that is proposed is how could the how could the moon actually hit the Earth? So I, it's never mentioned in, in the book. Magnetic attraction aside, and gravitation aside, um, I, I well, did. Well, um, see, see, maybe, maybe somebody built a nuclear dump on the moon and it blew yeah, up. <laughs> well, that's actually not, yes. you know. Well, that's Sorry, actually. I could not resist. Well, that's, um, <laughs> we just did Rocket Ship of Galileo recently. And yes. in that book, uh, on the way to the moon, they speculate or they have a conversation. How do you know the back of the moon exists, right? Because we never see it, except for, you know, very extreme angles and very small parts of it. How do we even know it exists? And it's a, a philosophical conversation. But um, what if it is just like a big rocket pushing towards the Earth? <laughs> never said it's not impossible. What if, the, what, what if there are uh, Martians uh, trying to destroy the Earth because they didn't do a good job and the Earth is contaminated with little bugs? Never explained. Um but in the theory to try and explain how this could happen and what actually is our relationship to the Earth and the Moon's distance, the introduction talks about, well, if there was a cloud of interstellar gas that came into the solar system, that would put uh, us brakes on the orbit of the Moon around the Earth. Um, and how long would it take and at what density would it have to be in order to uh, have the moon's uh friction with this gas be enough to crash into the earth and he actually does the calculations kind of fun um basically he says uh it'd have to be at earth sea level it would like take uh months or maybe it was years i can't remember but also anything that did that would also uh make the earth slow down in its orbit around the sun right and of course if uh air at sea level came in then that would also take away the Earth's atmosphere, which would, you know, everything would be broken. So, and also, like, what is, what is the status of the moon separating from the Earth? What is, is it, uh, is it actually going away? It seems to be by a certain distance every year. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the moon, the moon is receding from the Earth eventually. eventually. That's the theory, yeah. yeah but that, also, the Earth is slowing down. 
as it turns in its orbit. Well, right, right. The moon is the moon is the friction the friction of yes. of the tides is the theory, and one of the other things mentioned in that great rocket ship Galileo book uh, is you know uh, how do you know the moon and the tides are connected? Well, we say they are, but how do you know? Well, we have this one example, the Earth, and we're pretty sure about how it. But if the moon disappeared, what what would what's not never mentioned is like what is the effect of the tides on the water cycle, right? It's not just cleaning the beaches, right? Which is what he mentions, right. Hopkins mentions. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, what is the effect of the tides? Uh, you know, we think the wind is connected to the sun. Makes sense. Um, but the wind is a gas, which would be affected by the tides. So would the level of oxygen go down in the ocean, mm-hmm. which would kill all the fish? What? Well, it, 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 would, it, would redu- it would reduce some um, mixture. This of- is not a hard science fiction book. Right? <laughs> yeah, I know, but, but but it did make me think. He's not the author. The author is not thinking about it. the the protagonist. Certainly, is not thinking of it. But yeah, the the moon crashing there, the losing the moon would definitely be detrimental to the Earth's long term well being in a lot of ways. I, I just think it's really it's really a sharp sharp criticism of humans. With his, you know, endlessly going on about how prideful he is in his invention of uh, uh, little stands for those chickens that are heated, <laughs> gas heated or uh, radiated, so he increases his output. Yeah, he, like, this yeah, is all he, he, stuff that we, you know, Brian, you used to raise chickens, right? Tons of them. Yeah. And, and, and light has a lot to do with their their output, right? If yes, you don't yes, have much a, more. In fact, when you wire up a chicken coop uh, for light, it's it's much more important to have light than heat. Yes, uh, they can keep themselves them warm. Into, yeah, yep. but what they yeah, can't do to, is is make their brains think light. that it's or some part of their body think that their egg production should go up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 it's it's a very British thing to do, by the way. That um, uh, chickens can be incredibly disgusting. Um, you know, the, the, the smell, of <laughs> he's done something on your shirt. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, the smell of a chicken coop is, is, is chemical warfare. You know, it's, uh, it can be. Uh, yeah. And, and, and he makes it all very nice and, and very, you know, very pleasant. And uh, his love uh, for Broody is, is the true love story of this book. I know. I know. So this is like, you know, the octopus teacher, right? This is, I, uh, I love that he, at the beginning of that, right. He finds a, uh, rather w- scruffy looking, uh, cockerel. Um, and he isn't keen on Broody mating with him, but that's the only thing available. Yeah, so, okay, it's the only and then, you know, a few weeks go by and the, the, he's selling those prideful, <laughs> prideful chicks off his uh, pullets. <laughs> he's like, these are the best chickens ever. It's such a good, uh, incisive look into a person's brain. It's, it's what novels can do that. Uh, I appreciate this. Yeah, very very few other types of media. Short stories are not great at getting into people's character, right? That's not what they're for. For delivering that injection of of, um, ideas and uh, structure and stuff. But yeah, novels like this, it it is masterful. It's so H.G. Wells. um, H.G. Wells makes us hate his characters. Like, you know, they're all despicable monsters. But in this, he's yeah, he's pathetic and silly and prideful. But he has a kind of wisdom in his dumbness 
that we uh, we have to sympathize with. And I think that that's where your problem with cozies come from, uh, Brian. Science fiction as a cozy uh, has to not just be cozy to give you the feeling. It also has to yeah. do some delivery of some actual material, which this does in spades. Right. I think I think part of it too, and maybe this is just me. You know, years and years of reading gothic horror is I, I, I want actual threats and danger. Um, yeah. And uh, um, and and cozy stuff likes to pull its punches very very hard. Um, the the other thing I, I wanted to mention, you know, talking about disliking the characters or characters being sad, have have you all seen the Lars von Trier movie Melancholia? No, I've not. I watched, I think it was Dogland, and I didn't like it, so I've not watched the opposite of Cozy. <laughs> no, no, yeah. Dog, Dogland just really, and I did not get along, so I haven't watched any of his stuff since. Well, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan, but I know his, his stuff is, is hard and sometimes misfires. Um, I'm a, but uh, I'd be happy to talk about that another time, but, but this one is, uh, it's a, it's a really haunting movie. Uh, it's about another planet, a stray planet that collides with the Earth. That's the that's the big threat, and it follows a few people who are basically depressed by this, and depressed by their lives. And yeah, it's 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 not a hard science fiction story. Although there there is some stuff about orbital dy- dynamics, and the conclusion is based on um, on physics. Um, but it's mostly about people um, suffering from emotional pain. Mm. Um, so it's not a it's not a happy movie by any stretch of the imagination. But uh, but the characters get get sadder and sadder and, and attempts to cheer people up or a plot point. Um, and the conclusion is is I, I guess that's that's some it's it's a small conclusion. Uh, and that reminded me a bit of this book in the sense of you know staying home and not talking about what happens to London. Um, but it, it, it's it's an enormously powerful film. I mean, it's it's it, it's it's really devastating in a lot of ways. Uh, and this book doesn't quite go there. Uh, I I agree for Melancholia, but this book is not as cozy as it would seem. Uh, there's quite a lot of Lovecraftian description mm. of the moon. Uh, it mm. sort of comes out he's supposedly mm-hmm. a, a boring person. Um, who uh, has no uh, imagination for the wide world. But um, uh, given that it's his manuscript, uh, there's lots of Lovecraftian-type stuff around the moon. And he does use the word cosy. He Mm -hmm. talks about the life of um, Uncle Henry and um, uh, Aunt Rose as cosy. But... Um, I love that resentment fact, he has towards them for being older than he is. Oh. Well, yeah, there's that as well. Um, but at the same time, he doesn't choose coziness. That's uh, right. It's sort of coziness, but he, he chooses um, chickens and he chooses... He makes the, a family. The the aesthetic um, uh, breeding of, of chickens. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's the same thing as... Um, uh, called uh, cultivate your garden is mm-hmm, mm-hmm. English, yes. and yes. and so I mean uh, that's uh, uh, Jesse with his podcasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's me with my um, uh, my blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's Paul with his uh, I don't sorry Paul. Aside from photos and and reviews, I don't know what else you do. And Brian, lots of gaming, lots of gaming. gaming. <laughs> 
Well, there you are. So it's it's the the small world of you um, is more important. So it's not the same as cozy because if you go too cozy, you're you're just sort of empty inside, like un- Uncle Henry and Aunt Rose. Yeah, I mean, he sort of becomes that in the end, and that's what makes it such a dark book, right? When the two kids yes. go off to war, um, it's a horror, right? Because they are his surrogate children in a way that the chickens can never be, right? It's like taking pride in your car. You know, you can take pride in your car, but it's a fucking car. You know, the brooding chicken, she's very nice and fluffy, and she's a hero and all that for surviving. But come on, man. It's a chicken. <laughs> I like chickens. I like, you Yes, know, he well, says I, when they go off, it's, it's his soul that goes off. Right. I, I agree that uh, that there is that there is darkness here, and, and that goes – that – goes much farther than contemporary today's cozy sf but that does line up nicely with um the cozy catastrophes of 20th century british uh genre fiction there's a there's a a couple of earlier examples but this is why in constant moon by larry niven is such a terrific short story it's a combination of the hard sf which this isn't right and it's saying, what do we do when we know that we only have the night to live, right? The seven, eight hours to live. Well, you, that girl you're going to date, go date her right now. And, I admire uh, that story. That story so much because it's such a. It's not a Larry Niven story. You know, it is a Larry Niven story, though. That well, hard SF element, right? Well, but that's 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 what I mean. I mean, yeah, Niven is such a he's such a misanthrope. And, um, yes, and he doesn't is. really like people. He's romantic. Is... He's just not romantic the way we want him to be. He's he's kind of a misanthrope, right? <laughs> yeah, he's very much a misanthrope, and the story undercuts that. It does. Like, it makes him human. Un... Makes him incredibly, yeah. incredibly. Well, that, human. That's what. That's the thing. One of the things I like about it so much is so that good. it was him, him really growing. I, I do. I mean, when you look at the cozy catastrophe books, they are catastrophes i mean you know you've got day of the triffids which mm-hmm. begins with the blinding of the human race right uh, and, and, and then the triffids attack i mean i mean yeah. a, a lot of the adaptations kind of kind of mix those together but yeah first people get blinded then the then the triffids attack. and they're not from space like the movie says right they're no, just they're, they're just space. something we've been doing working on in the background and and then and it now comes, that we're blind, it's almost like nuclear power. It's like it's we don't need aliens to blow up the earth. We can do it ourselves. Don't worry. It's we like got COVID. This. It's they're augmented, um, genetically augmented uh, plants. Yes, yes, GMO plants. Uh, my objection to cozy is that it reminds me um, of um, the ideas of uh, of hedonism. Mm-hmm. Hedonism is used now to mean uh, this was one of the arguments about hedonism in, in John Stuart Mill. Is it just um, um, uh, uh, you know eating whatever you want and sort of being uh, a sort of human shows, of yeah. or is hedonism um, as in uh, Ep- Epicurean philosophy? It's liking um, having taking pleasure out of culture. Mm-hmm. So it's a cozy catastrophe, but there are different sorts of, of cozy, and it's cozy because it's not like the American um, uh, type of adventure. Because I keep uh, saying, what uh, is missing in um, in a good sense in this book? Mm-hmm. There's no Bruce Willis going up to blow up the yep. moon, <laughs> uh, and that's what yeah. that's why that don't look up is is sort of only pretty good. 
whereas this is astoundingly good, is because There's they no guns. Yeah, like in they, all the American um, series, yeah, it, it becomes violent when it's, um, and it's played for laughs. Whereas this is deadly serious, right? There are funny things, but the funny things are how prideful he is and the stupidest things, right? But uh, true, but I I think the message is that that's um, uh, it's not a real problem. He's he's ridiculous, but he um, acts overall in a rather good way. The real pride are the um, uh, the people in government who just yep. want money and power. If I and don't if I don't win this war, I might ha- lose my seat as the prime minister, right? Like, but he's, he's he's stupidly pride. He's a a sophomaniac. He thinks that he's uh, more intelligent than anyone, mm-hmm. but he's constantly. In his own head, he's sort of um, uh, trying not to um, let people know how stupid they are. But in fact, <laughs> he, he, he comes out quite well. And yes. I'm quite amazed that um, Pat and Robin are quite attached to him. Yes, despite and, how he's, he's broken. And they know that he's, he's um, e- egocentric, yeah. but they consider that it's, it's, it's not a problem. Uh, or it's a problem that they can they manage and they do manage. They can handle. Yes. And and with uh, with Robin going off to that war, like I'm with him. Like you don't you don't let him go. It's a meat grinder. Don't let him go. But he's a young man, and you can't yeah. stop him, right? Yeah, you yeah. can't stop him. And so Please. you have a choice. You can take him to the train station and try and eat a happy last meal with him, or you can sever that relationship and not have that last meal. Because he's probably not coming back. I guess I'm thinking of uh, this. Make, this makes me think of uh, of Eric Rabkin again. And one of the one of the situations we see here is a failure of the uh, edible romance. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't see a successful conclusion where the young people rise up and become um, productive and generative themselves. Yeah. Um, and the uh, the old people don't you know, graciously cede power. Instead, uh, it's, it's torn apart. Or if you think about it in terms of the old, um, kind of folkloric view of, of literature, you know, do you have a, a, a fecundative, uh, conclusion where mm-hmm. you return to, uh, production? And again, Eric's idea of the, of the, uh, Eden complex. And we don't, we end even, you know, even before the Selamites show up, we get, um, I do wonder, Salim Selamites, if that's supposed to echo mm-hmm. well, Selenites, but, um, but if, if you get the, you know, there's nothing productive, there's no rebirth of agriculture, there's no rebirth of the economy, instead it's... it's in, in, the, in the desert countries, yes. <laughs> right? But we are not here. Yeah. Yes. And yeah, it, not here. I mean, yes. it reminds me a bit of, um, of uh, the classic, uh, very great uh, nuclear war film, Threads. Um, right, you know, not not quite as bleak and terrible as that, but definitely pointing down that road. Uh, I, radiation's missing. This is this is the astounding thing, right? When you, uh, I, I was writing about Doctor Who, uh, the original Hartnell years before they established he's an alien and all that stuff. It's the time machine. It's just the time machine, and then it has this other thing, which is we're going to teach children about history and how these people from previous cultures are not horrors and monsters and weirdos and freaks they're just different from us something's good something's bad and you know there's danger in every episode but that's just standard for doctor who yeah, yeah, they, in the second yeah. serial they go to scarrow where they've gone 
uh, you know, the entire planet has been blasted by nuclear radiation. Everybody's living in, uh, you know, Dalek cities. Yeah, yeah Dalek uh, wheelchairs, and they're all mutants, right? And those those uh, the radiation dial, which he has on the TARDIS console, right? It, as soon as they walk out in the first episode's teaser or whatever, it goes from zero to like danger, right? It's like that's something that you don't get in H.G. Wells: radiation danger. And when you think about modern Doctor Who, they don't ever talk about radiation danger. But all throughout the '60s, the '70s, the '80s, radiation was like a scary nightmare that was out there yeah. because it's yeah. invisible. It does damage. You don't know what's causing it, other than something we did, something went wrong, right? And it's like mm-hmm. it's um. It's something we we need to be on the lookout for, but can't detect easily. Uh, other than, you know, oh, why is my hair falling out? And why am I pissing well, blood? A, and <laughs> that's another part of uh, Seven Eves, by the way. Um, oh, which I which I I do recommend. Uh, it's one of Stephenson's best. It's a big but... book, I think. Right? Yeah, it's a it's a long book. So Jesse may not want to um, read it. Um, I I like the idea of Neil Neil Stephenson books, but it's like Kim Stanley Robinson epic series, <laughs> like they're just really big. Um, but I have two suggestions other than Poison Belt, which I think is is pretty uh, on point. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was the other one? Um, oh, I can't remember now. <laughs> Poison Belt's number one. It is um, uh, mere three hours, 18 minutes, and there's a LibriVox version, so we could book that at some point. We should, we should book that. Yeah. Right. Um, and I've, I've, I sent you guys the two illustrated versions, and they are both terrific, I think. Um, there was another uh, book, but it's not coming to mind now, so we'll let it let somebody else think for, aloud for a moment. Oh, um, I wanted to tell you, Eric, uh, about Eric because you haven't probably been talking to him daily, like or not daily. I, I talk to him weekly, right, um, Brian? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> great. Um, so we did. Uh, couple of shows earlier uh, on Friday, we did uh, The Angel of the Odd by Edgar Allan Poe. Terrific mm. story uh-huh. nobody reads. <laughs> it's not on any of the lists of Poe stories that everybody reads, and it's probably one of his funniest. Um, and then we did The Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. Mm. And yeah. um, I, I, it didn't occur to me that while we would be uh, recording a show that this would happen. But, of course, it makes total sense. Um, you know, Eric's been married for like 55 years, right? <laughs> He's yeah. got children and grandchildren. Um, and it's a story from, uh, the 1920s, I want to say. Oh, no, so. maybe it might even be earlier, but yeah, it's, um, it's a very, very old story. And it's about a, a husband and a wife giving each other gifts at Christmas. You know, Eric's a Jew. He's not, doesn't celebrate Christmas, but he does understand the power of these stories and so when he started, he reads a lot of the stuff we do on the podcast. He'd read the story. I started reading The Gift of the Magi, and about two-thirds of the way through, I'm like, oh, oh there's something wrong. <laughs> He's choking up. He he had a very difficult time getting through it. And I was like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, that makes total sense for Eric, right? Because that that's where he lives, right? To me, the only story that does that we've ever done is uh, a poem a World War One poem uh, about people getting gassed to death. It's like I can't get through that one without uh, turning into like a crying ball of tears. 
but uh, I, that's the first time that's ever happened in like 300 episodes where Eric was like unable to like get wow. through this. I, I, he, got, he got through it, but it's like, wow, I'm like, I didn't expect that um, because it is it is such on point for his his um, uh, relationships, you know, like it, it, it was revealing of character. <laughs> well, please, first of all, please, please tell him I said hi. All right. Well, do. Um, and uh, I remember him uh, giving a lecture on um, War of the Worlds and choking up in the last lines. It's uh, a great when ending. The, the narrator returns and finds his wife. And he says, you know, she had counted me as I counted her among the dead. You know, um, I was thinking a little bit about that uh, remake with um, Tom Cruise. It mm-hmm. has a lot of the frenetic energy that we imagine this book would have. Um, but that's uh, the more I think about it, the more that actually is a very good at it might even be a better adaptation than the original movie i haven't seen in forever but uh there's something there it's powerful in um in making it very personal here it's we are distanced from it because of this silly man who's telling us the story but uh and i guess that's what makes it cozy as opposed to war of the worlds and this just you know this man who's you know He's he's much more thoughtful about chickens and his own position in in the limited society that he has than he is about the the bigger issues. Well, I want to say it was uh, it was uh, the filmmaker Godard who was criticizing Schindler's List and mm. said, you, "If you want to make a movie about the Holocaust, you don't make it about the survivors. You make it about the people who died." Oof, oof. yeah, that's a that criticism is um uh. Isn't it? You know, I actually thought about one Holocaust movie during this, um, and that was uh, the Italian one, "Life is Beautiful." Life is beautiful, which mm, is yes. which is also um, it does its best, right? <laughs> the, the grievous circumstances that it's dealing with, but yeah, it's pretty hard to make a um, a Holocaust movie that people will want to pay money to see. <laughs> Like, hey, you don't want to go down to the movie theater and watch a horrible movie yeah. about people getting ground into dust and then having most of their oppressors like go on to live regular lives? No, yeah. I don't think that that yeah. sounds great, Jesse. What's the um, what's the film, um, the act of killing? Well, I haven't seen um, that one. It is such a bizarre and upsetting movie. It's um, it's a, a documentary in Indonesia. And it's based on the uh, Sicarto killings, uh, I want to say 1966. It's a documentary, um, it seems. Yeah, but but it's not about the killings. What it does is it takes people in the present, I think the movie's like 10, 20 years old, and tells them it's doing a documentary about them and wants them to reenact Holy what they've shit. Done. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. And all of these people are public. They're not they're not in jail or anything because one of the things that's so terrible about this, uh, there's one movie about it, uh, the year of living dangerously. Um, Oh, but, I've uh, seen that. that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that, Gibson, yeah. Yeah. Is that the people who committed these crimes, they won, uh, the U S backed them and, uh, and they committed this, you know, unbelievable mass murder and it stayed in power. And, um, and so, 
you know, there, there are scenes where this documentary goes, you know, they, they ask one guy, you know, well, how did you do the killings? He's like, oh, here, you know, I'll show you. I, I came with this cool Let's get in the helicopter and go up in the sky and then I'll, we'll push out this bag of sand, right? It's like that, right? No, no, no. This is, I know this, this I know it's a different one, but it's that same yeah. idea. Oh my God. How can anybody, how can anybody watch that movie without like it's, burning the theater down and then, you know, killing themselves? I, yeah. I guess that's a repeated theme today here. Sorry. Uh, it's apparently it's, it's, theme. It, it's pretty hard. Um, Dude, I never heard of that movie. Um, yeah. You said Mel Gibson. It's Linda Hunt movie, my friend, Paul. That's a Linda Hunt movie. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. It's also got Sigourney Weaver. Uh, she's good, too. And Mel Gibson. He's fine. But Linda, that's uh, – didn't she win an award for that? I think yeah. she did. Yeah. What a, what a great uh, – there's another one kind of similar um, – uh, the Killing Fields, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Hard to uh, hard to imagine Hollywood uh, doing. Uh, yeah, maybe Apple TV. Would do it. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Apple TV. I don't again. know. Um, I wanted to ask Terrence because um, we we don't chat a lot on Twitter, other than you know. And Terrence send... has been quiet in, in in this in this conversation, so I think Terrence needs some spotlight. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to ask you, Terrence. Um, you you used a particular phrase that made me think of one of the my favorite podcasts. Uh, I do, it's one of the ones I don't give money to, even though I probably should. I I just haven't gotten around to it. Um, it's called The Lack. Do you know about this podcast? Uh, yes, Benjamin Studebaker. I've, I've seen you recommend it. I, I think you'll like it because one of the things you said was, um, "What does this movie ha- or this book have?" That what America, missing. yes, what's missing, and that's the idea behind that podcast, which is a very positive strange. generative lack. Yes, and uh, one of the one of the there's three people who are on the show: Nina Power, Benjamin Studebaker, and another person, two ladies and one dude. And Benjamin Studebaker, he's like a, a political science guy. Um, you, get, you learn a lot about him. Um, he's got students. But his dad died recently, and you know, and he's going to see movies with his mom. It's like a very weird sort of personal uh, information you get through podcasts, right? Uh, one of them's a filmmaker, another one's a journalist. One of them runs a magazine called Compact Magazine, which is a new, very interesting magazine, online magazine. Um, and together they talk about, a, they watch a movie, and then they each give like a twenty-minute sort of maybe fifteen-minute essay that they wrote in response to it. And there are three different people. One of them has very uh, Freudian takes. Another one has very uh, labor uh, history sort of takes. And the third is um, uh, another <laughs> kind of take. And uh, it's just a really interesting... The, the, the movies they pick are often these obscure movies like Brian's Bringing Up, right? Um, and when you're watching it, uh, or if you've seen it, uh, the movie um, is like, oh yeah, I guess that is the central core message that's been missing, right? And that's what's so interesting is the the podcast isn't about like babies. That's a, a positive topic. It would be like you watch the movie and say, what's missing? The babies, right? Like Brian was suggesting, right? The fecundity aspect of this story, it's present throughout, right? And I was I was even thinking, why did he ch- pick Chicken Farmer? Uh, as the main character. And I think it, it's because of the egg, right? Yes. It has to be. So I think that that's a podcast. This is a personal recommendation that you check out this <laughs> podcast. 
because okay, it's one of my favorites. You have to pay if you. No, no, you no, get, no. It's you get a half. half. Yeah, you get half. I have not episode. paid for the second half. They, what they call the B side, um, yeah. and I'm very curious about it, and probably should pony up the money. I just, I, I always think like, are these people richer than me? And the pro- answer is almost always yes, right? And I said, yeah. do I really need to give them money? Mm, probably not. On the other hand, do I want do the content? They get money. They, they need to. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's an interesting case because they do give away half their show for free. And maybe the B side is only for the diehards. And I'm fairly diehard, but I also don't have that much time. But I always manage to make time to listen to their show. And that, I don't know, was this fourth wave podcasting now? It's fifth wave podcasting. Nth wave. It's pretty deep in, right? And uh, it's amazing that there's still good stuff being produced. I'm I'm very impressed by it. I think well, I think I'm it's doing exact- my my YouTube videos on um, uh, the first uh, paragraph of um, each of several different um, French philosophy books. Oh, cool. um, some of them not even translated yet. I'm gonna have to uh, get to your YouTube channel because I don't think I have that on there. What's it? Just T P Blake. Uh, I, I think it's Agent Swarm. I changed the name. So you get it by Terence Blake or by the new name, Agent, Agent Swarm. Agent Swarm. All right. There you go. And uh, you'll be pleased to know that I have ad blockers on everything, so I never have to give you any money. <laughs> well, yes, that's the first thing I installed when I, yes. I've, I've got a new navigator or a new computer. You know, uh, it was astounding to me yesterday. I sent somebody um, the Robert A. Heinlein getting excited and Arthur C. Clarke getting excited as the moon landing is happening on TV uh, that I put on YouTube. I copied from somewhere else and put on YouTube. And uh, there was like ads on it. And I, I'm, I was demonetized years ago uh, when the first, <laughs> e, uh, I don't know, adpocalypse, they call it, on YouTube happened. Um, but since then, they've not only you know ad- added the ads back in for themselves, so YouTube's monetizing well, the content from my channel. That's fine, whatever, evil, but whatever. And then now they've also added context, <laughs> like like I put up some uh, <laughs> misinformation or something. Like it's just a clip of CBS and uh, Walter Cronkite interviewing Arthur C. Clarke and Robert A. Heinlein, and like this is from the moon landings. Apollo mission this, Apollo mission that. Like, oh my God, it, YouTube is so bad. So you should uh, consider, uh, even if it's just um, uh, stripping the uh, audio out, throwing it up as a podcast as well. Well, I did, but it's it's. Time wasting. Uh, it is. Getting, I, I stripped the audio, so I've got a an Apple. On, it's on Anchor FM, so it's on um, um, several different podcast um, uh, platforms. I I called. I can't remember the name of the podcast anymore. I called it Hyperthinking the Absolute, <laughs> um, and okay. I stripped the um, uh, audio. And then I processed it through um, Otter AI to get a, a transcription. Uh-huh. And I, I, for each hour of audio um, transcribed automatically, I spent uh, four or five hours correcting <laughs> the mistakes. No, no, you don't do that. <laughs> so I've no. done a, a few of them, and I, I plan to go back uh, for at least some of the videos to that model to wow. get a sort of more complete version out. 
Of course, I, I modify when I when I, I change all the mistakes. I put more stuff in or um, complete uh, analyses. So I mean, um, I row I anti uh, Road Dal myself, I suppose, but at a conceptual level. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> roll, roll, but but you but you you can be anti Roll Dal. I I have a stack of his books. Um, I like them. them. I, oh yeah, I think he's an and asshole, and I think it's it's good to nasty. read assholes. That's, that's one of their attractions. Exactly. So they fucked it up. Um, but what I, one of the good things about having the YouTube video versus the uh, you know just the audio is we get to see your stack of books behind you. <laughs> uh, one of my stacks of books. One of your stacks of books. Yes, floor to ceiling uh, books everywhere. That's a good thing. Um, we need it in uh, HD uh, 4K so we can zoom in and examine your shelves. Uh, I, it's funny. I saw a tweet this morning. Um, it was like, why? It was some, you know, <laughs> why Stalin was a mega chat or something like that. <laughs> and uh, the line was um, eh, this, and they show a picture of young Stalin, with the mustache and the very dark hair. Um, it says, eh, would you let this bank robber? <laughs> Uh, into your house, and then uh, if he if he did, uh, he goes over to your bookshelves and looks at your your uh, books, and he opens them up. Like apparently, he did this. Uh, reported, he'd open them up to see if they'd been read. <laughs> and then he says, "What do you think, uh, Comrade Illich has to say about this?" <laughs> like, pretty funny. But don't stuff. you do that? Everybody does that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I profile people by their, their um, dude. When I you go into a person's house, books. when you go into a person's house and they don't have any books, it's scary. It's scary. It's like, whoa! What are they hiding? No, we, uh, like, what are they doing? Are they when doing? we sold our house, um, I want to say four years ago, um, it was a terrible experience in all kinds of ways. But one of the things was uh, we had to get rid of our books. We had to. Um, yeah, you can't have them all. Eric's in the same position, right? He's got them all in storage. It's it's a terrible feeling. It's like phantom limb, you know. Yeah. I I, I console myself. I I tear them up. I put them up on the internet, and then I try and not collect more. But it's hard. Just limit the number of of incoming paper books. Well, the thing I'm, I'm worried about now is that my my. Uh, my Kindle collection is pretty extensive, Dang. and uh, I'm and and that's very that's very gratifying. I mean, I travel a lot, so that's that's good for you know, travel. And um, I also get some really good deals on on Kindle books, but but you know, I'm I'm worried about the long term um, fate of these. You yep, know, they're, yep. they're gone once you're gone, right? You, yes. Nobody can get access to them, and so, also you you can have them deleted out of your library. You can have them changed in your yep. library. It's pure evil, right? Uh, I, I think we, we need to really focus on the fact that it is a government factory that's making the cars right after this tragedy, right? And if you like look into like the British car industry, which I've done for various stupid reasons many times um, after World War II, right? All the companies that we think of as, you know, there's triumph and there's mg and all these british companies that are making cars like they're all government owned right like mg british leyland range rover <laughs> you know now they're all you know international and you know, france owns this and germany owns that we think of the companies but you know it's just gm owns you know 
whatever British model. But at the time, they were trying to keep an industry going, and there's no capital, there's no market, there's no there's some sort of problem. Government buys it and says, you've got to consolidate, make this work somehow, because it, otherwise the cars don't get manufactured. And especially if you don't have overseas, like, you know, there wasn't a lot of overseas car industry for the UK in 1939, but we're, it, it was a global plan. It was a planetary um, economy then even it's just, it works slightly differently. <laughs> so yeah, I didn't think of Brexit at all during this, but that makes a lot of sense. Yes. But the whole thing with uh, Europe, um, it's, um, the sovereignist. Mm-hmm. Do we say that in English? Yeah, it's a word. There's the Brexit, like the Frexit, and it's the uh, the book is sovereignist um, at every okay. level. Finally, uh, every le- uh, all the lower levels should have their autonomy, and um, the vision of Europe as uh, just being power um, hungry and above all um, uh, money uh, hungry. Uh, negotiations. That's um, that's uh, for me. That's the way it is. That's uh, mm-hmm. that's up to date for for today. And the the treatment of science, the treatment of uh, censorship in the newspapers. Oh, that's so important. Yeah, right. It's it, it's like they're who is 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 the government doing it? Well, no, they're just playing along. And it, especially in the UK, where you know. To be in in the industry, the media here is is newspapers, right? Yeah, they have radio broadcasts too, but that's sort of secondary. Uh, you know, when Conrad Black leaves Canada with his fortune and becomes a British lord by buying a newspaper in England, fucks that up, gets convicted of criminal, uh, uh, you know, thieving of his own company, um, has to try and get his Canadian citizenship back <laughs> after he comes out of prison. Um, after having given it up because you're not allowed to be uh, a, a British lord and be a Canadian. It's not allowed, right? It's I- illegal. So Lord Black of Black Harbor comes back to Canada, cap in hand, no problem, um, gets his citizenship back. But you can't be, you can't go to the UK and buy a newspaper and not be a lord. It just does not happen, right? They bring you into the fold, and, and of course you're a good old boy now. Right, and we don't. You don't even have to have that in the states, right? It's just if you're if you own the New York Times or you, you know they all play along, you know Bezos or uh, what's the guy who owns Twitter, uh, Musk, Elon, right? Right, they all Elon play. They all, Musk. There you go. Uh, I can't remember the name of the family that owns the New York Times, but it's it's you know these are not people who are not going to play it's along. Years, I believe so that sounds right. They're not going to... What's Jeff Bezos' middle name? I don't know. You need to learn this, Paul. (laughs) And is it... it Jeffrey Preston Bezos. Preston. Uh Aha. Preston. Well, you you need to call him by his middle name. Terrence doesn't know. If I I dislike a politician or other figure, I will use their middle name. That's why I never tell Paul my middle name. (laughs) Actually, I think I did one time. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep it suppressed. That sounded like Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> By their first name, there was some oh. good aspect. But once you get to their middle name, you're getting at their, their nasty side. 
it uh, it's the parent saying you know your full name because you've done something wrong that's how you know oh god <laughs> what did yeah, i oh do god. what have what i done do? <laughs> so um yeah it's it's um a, a terrific really good read if anybody listened to all this and hasn't read it you will not rec- you will not be upset by reading it it is so good it's uh, it's, 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 it's worth it's the time length. well spent yeah it's it's a long book it's what 11 13 hours something like that Yes, 11 hour, eleven and a half hours. That's uh, a decent chunk of time, but uh, I don't think you could cut out anything and make it better, which I would say, you know, a lot of books, they're written to be longer. This is just a very solid novel. Well, it seems very long at the, uh, the first um, part, which is almost two-thirds, but then you get a repetition of the same thing, and people haven't learned from all the manipulations and all the projections and all the way avoidance behavior and uh, the moon finally collides with the earth and then it starts up all over again and um, exactly the same mechanisms are in place. So you really need um, the the long first part of the book. So uh, I thought maybe this is, this seems too long, but in fact, um, it accelerates for the the, the second part, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't wouldn't be as gripping or as meaningful if you didn't have that long uh, first part. I agree. Um, one of the going back to that movie down, don't look up. Um, one of the things that I, I noticed in it that I thought was interesting that's also in this, and I don't think Sirota read this at all. I think it's just parallel thinking. Um, is that uh, this comet? I think is is going to hit the Earth. I can't remember. I think it's a comet. Uh, and don't look up. Um, they start worrying about and cutting up the uh, resources that are going to be on it when it hits the Earth. I, this is our piece, and that's your piece. So it, it follows the yeah. same colonialist lines, right? And, um, you know, the anti-science element, but the the button ending with all the ancient people, I mean, that's a very Eric uh, sort of idea there, too. The, all these old people <laughs> unable to regenerate themselves, preserving their lives on a new planet, naked, born into the Garden of Eden that's um, got monsters that eat them in the yeah, closing like, credits. Yeah, it's like eaten already, which is hilarious. It's a comedy. It's a comedy. And so it doesn't have... Uh, what's funny is that movie's treating a very serious topic. It's a parody, right? Whereas this is the opposite of a parody. It's a... It's a indictment right yes they, uh, they that, that's played for laughs this is played for dead serious yeah we're and, just gonna and the sorota walking out of it I, I think this is why i got the criticism from both ends right it's pretty good it's pretty good because it it doesn't uh nail the idea of this is a condemnation it's it because it goes for the laughs it goes for the isn't this a reflection of a reality ha 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 yeah it is that's not a status quo we can live with uh, and then if you go the other direction, it's like, uh, like people were reading it as the, whoever was the Meryl Streep was the president. They're reading that as Trump and you can, you can read it as Trump, but all the people in it were, uh, old. That was the, I think the major point that it really, I thought was really important. Like the guy who was playing the Steve Jobs like character. He was old, right? Yeah, but the young people aren't that helpful. Remember, there's that subplot about the uh, 
uh, skater guys with um, Timothy cheekbones mm-hmm. leading them, mm-hmm. and and they don't do anything. No, that's, that's uh, but uh, it's like um, I even the d- dynamic of the the handsome young actor who's in he's not that young he's fifty or whatever. What who's the main lead the famous actor? Matt Damon. Uh, he's not in that, is he? No, it's uh, it's the Titanic kid. <laughs> oh, DiCaprio. DiCaprio. Yeah. So DiCaprio's relationship with the girl, his assistant, That's or right. vice versa, they're like they have two sort of um, Hopkins manuscript sort of reactions to their information. One is you know uh, go cultivate the garden, as Terence is talking about, uh, uh, not the epistemological. What are the people who like uh, gardening? <laughs> what are they called? The head of this? Uh, no, Epicureans. Oh, the Epicureans. So there's an Epicurean sort of like, let's have dinner with the family. And then there's like, no, we got to go on the news and stop this, right? We have to we have to fix it. And neither of these works. Neither of these techniques works. One's a delaying action. And the other is like, uh, you know, you're fighting against the tide. And... But what does work is the stupid mission to take uh, the, you know, the humanity to the future uh, or to the some other planet. The, but only the old people. And not, she even forgot her son, right? Uh, so that part as, played up as comedy. I think a better movie, and I, I don't think most people will agree with this, but I think a much better movie is that pretty terrible movie called 2012, which is uh, World, When oh. Worlds Collide. Uh, yeah. which yeah. is, you know, uh, also a terrific book, but I think I'd much rather be friends with R.C. Sheriff than the Balmer and his buddy, uh, because they like machine gunning the plebs, whereas here the plebs are, um, you know, just tricked into the war, really. Or the proles, I guess, not the plebs. Well, uh, proles, the proles. Plebs. Yeah. Plebs are different than the proles because of the breedings. <laughs> Anyways, um, I just think that 2012 with its, uh, it has its, they don't call them dugouts, they call them arcs or whatever, where they're uh, right. planning to put the people in, but only the rich people get tickets or whatever. Yeah, only rich people have the passes, yes. Yeah, um, and, you know, it makes it personal with um, some actor trying to save his kids, driving his limousine under millions of falling buildings. Uh, what was causing, I can't even remember what caused the, disaster in 2012 is it just the word 2012 no no it was basically um internal things of the earth rearranging so so just it's just because it was it it was a 2009 movie anticipating the 2012 disaster that was popular at the time like the y2k disaster these we get these kind of um i don't know fancies like it's all world's coming to an end uh, Y2K will kill us all. Like these, I don't know. They're like witchcraft, uh, moral panics or something. But there's this uh, interesting uh, Stephen Baxter novel, which is, I guess, now the start of a series. Um, I've only read the first. Moonfall? No, Flood. Oh, Flood. Uh, oh, oh. Okay. Yeah. Well, the, somehow the Earth starts producing more water from its interior. And, um, and the geogenic, the <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, ocean levels rise and, uh, and keep rising and it's beyond, it's beyond climate change. I mean, it's really accelerated very, very fast. And, um, and it, fo- the novel follows as things 
go through. And it ends up being something like that terrible movie Waterworld, you know, mm. where, where most of the world. <laughs> um, but it's uh, but it's interesting because it's it's very different from uh, from the Hopkins manuscript in that we see a lot of epic scenes. Uh, we get a lot of you know great descriptions of cities being inundated and populations on the move. And it also cuts between a bunch of different characters uh, and and takes them over time. I think it's I want to say forty or fifty years. Um, and there's a there's a side plot which I guess leads to the sequel where a bunch of people you know get in a spaceship and take off for another world. Um, but it's 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 inter- and It's it's a relentless book. The, the water just keep the waters just keep rising, and like in this book, there's no real. Deep scientific explanation mm. of it, even though Baxter is a scientist, um, it's just people trying to deal with it and getting lots of political um, snafus and 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 awful stuff. It's engaging. I, it's definitely that makes me th- that different makes me th- from th- the Drowned the, World uh, too, right? By J. Oh Gallagher. yeah, yeah. It's not yeah. surreal. It's uh, it's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. It makes me think of one of the Cherry Morgane novels where Morgane winds up on a world where the what floods are just rising and the entire world's going to get inundated and she's got to figure out a way to get off, get to the next gate and get off before things go south. And of course she's wrapped up in local politics and all this other stuff. I forget. I think it's, is it fires of Sharan? I'm, I forget which one of the novels where that happens. That's the plot point. Basically the world is flooding and Morgane's just arrived on this planet and she's got to get to the next gate. Before, I, I um, think there's that, out. that scene in this book where the, he comes out of the house and he looks at the field and he thinks there's things growing in the field and he can't yeah. recognize it as water. I thought that was a really on point, you know, perception. Real, of, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's these things happen. Yeah, saying, yeah. The data is coming into my eyes, but I can't recognize what it is because I don't have a, uh, a symbol for that yet. Um, I wanted to ask Terrence, did, have you read that JG Ballard uh, drowned world? Cause that seems like a book that you would appreciate. Uh, I think I have, but 50 years ago, so yeah. I don't remember it very well. Yeah, I don't remember it. I don't remember that. I think, Paul, you and I did a show on it, right? Yeah, we did. Ah, time. I'll listen to that. It's... I was I was thinking, sorry. No, go for it. Um, This absence of explanation thing might um tie into your question about why chickens. Because mm. uh, I, I thought, aside from the silly... Uh, talk about magnetic attraction, um, which didn't explain why um, the moon started deviating at the beginning. But for me, there's this um, idea of the problem of induction. Um, Bertrand Russell uh, famously gave the example to show that induction is a fallacy um, of the turkey that is fed every day and forms the theory um, that every day I will receive uh, nice food. And then on Christmas, uh, or just before yeah. Christmas, yeah. Uh, uh, he gets killed and eaten. And so... There was um, no reason to expect that to happen. It never yes. happened before. Therefore, it can before. never happen. So there's no reason. Um, and in a sort of sense, we don't need a reason. But then that ties into the chicken theme because um, even though he's quite a snob and he makes a a distinction between the alimentary uh, chicken raising and the uh, aesthetic uh, chicken uh, raising. Artisanal. Chickens (laughs) are classically um, raised to 
you eat their eggs, and um, when you've got enough um, chickens are, are around and you're hungry, you eat them. Mm-hmm. And, and he, when he goes off to London with 10 days food, it's all chicken cut up for him to eat on the way, right? He has no yeah. problem with that. So uh, at the end of the book, um, he says um, to the – in London – uh, to the doctor, none of this needed to happen. Mm. And I've seen uh, reviews where um, they say, oh, it's human nature, it's bleak, it's about human nature. But I think one of the messages is that um, that uh, contingency or lack of induction, it's not because it's always been this way, that it has to be this way. Mm. And there, are, um, there were moments of productivity and fecundity and, and all that stuff um, when it was just at the level of Beedle and da-da-da at, uh, what was the name, Mascaret or the the bigger town. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was on the way um, to constructing a sort of a nicer, uh, cozier world order. And then these things came along and there are quite specific people that started um, grabbing for power at quite specific times. So Very I, chill. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I, I, I think there, there's a, um, a critique of necessity and uh, of the induction uh, in this novel. Yeah, he's not pro-war. <laughs> he's not pro-colonies. No, he, he doesn't no. think it's inevitable at all. Mm-hmm. Just a few bastards come along and plunge us back into it. Otherwise, we were quite capable of uh, going on that way. But even even the kid, you know, uh, Robin, you know, and we get this through Pat, right? Pat saying they, they're talking about it behind Uncle's back. <sighs> he can't. But he's intoxicated. It, it, well, he's, he's, it is, it's like. I have a balance. I have a nature that uh, my fathers, my forefathers yeah. were all military men. Yeah, I, I'm a man. Um, my sister is. thinks I'm getting fat. You know, like there's this whole yes. requirement, and he's a young man, right? And all his all friends young men or peers. Things, they don't go. Uh, I've never been to war. I was young, right? Um, it, it's the press, the but, propaganda, uh, but and, and, yeah, this and government mandate movie. too, right? Government and, mandate. Uh-huh. Maybe yeah. he did it before he was conscripted. He, he took the easy way to become an officer. Right. And his his uh, sister uh, may be uh, a real harpy. Oh, you're getting fat. Why don't you go to war? <laughs> Make a man of you. Yeah, I, don't I mean, know. it but doesn't it, it doesn't come across that way. But it's certainly it's certainly like he is not pro war. But you know, the guy sheriff himself was an officer in World War One. He can't be. He was wounded in World War One. He can't be pro war because no, if, if there was any if there was any any time there was a uh, an unnecessary, stupid war. That was it, right? You go through the vast <laughs> archives of all the wars that are ever. I mean, I guess there's been other ones since then that have been pretty fucking stupid as well. But uh, that one is like it's just pride, just pride, nothing else, and it's going to be over soon. And all that, all the lies that it's. And I think we can't spend too much time examining how we got into that situation, because that if that can happen, if that unprecedented, unforeseen David Hume like uh, you know impossible event happens, then we better find out how it can happen so we can avoid that happening again. 
Because none of the people who got us into World War One are like uh, we 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 don't other than you know the Black Hand, we don't say oh they're to blame. <laughs> we don't think about the British Prime well, Minister. No, that's not that's not completely true. I mean, there's a there's a, a school of thought that uh, keeps coming in and out of fashion was that uh, that Germany was largely to blame. Uh, I mean, that was the conclusion of the Versailles Treaty, but uh, historians do this. Um, the word and, the word that comes to mind there is blank check, right? Right, right. Plus, I mean, plus there's a lot of stuff going into it. You know, uh, Wilhelm II thought of himself as a great warlord, and there is um, there is the fear. Well, the that, Germans uh, do get the blame, but all to, uh, I mean, in the West, but that's not really the case, right? Uh, yes, they are responsible too, but it it wasn't one sided war. But uh, no, it was. I, I, there's there's a lot of historiography about this where people. People really go into this in detail, um, and you talk about the blank check. You talk about um, all the options Germany had. I mean, it's it. You can really dive into this in in, in, in great detail. Um, but uh, I mean, the 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 opposing view is what uh, Barbara Tuckman is probably best known for mm-hmm. that it was a, a gigantic machine set up with yeah. so many interlocking parts that people lost track of. Um, and a, and if you let yourself be a, a cog in that machine. The machine can go forward, right? Right. Th- that and right. that that I think that that's actually the only thing. Like me personally, um, you know, send me back in time with a, a rifle. I'll I'll work on this as best I can. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it, I, I'll have uh, I you know, depending on how <laughs> how these systems, I guess we'll be able to test the theories pretty well. But um, as a person unable to travel through time except forward. I have to think like, what's my job? Is it to help help the cogs or to resist? And you know, uh, we yeah. have we have a choice of you know buying that rifle or getting that rifle and getting into a tower and finding some targets that we hope are the right targets. But that's pretty drastic, and I think most people are not willing to do that because what if they're wrong? Right? Oh, it's exactly. only the crazy people who do that. We think so. Are our job has to be like, what is my position on this so that I can make the best decisions I can. Um, this book is very subtle at doing that. So I think if you're not a careful reader who's, you know, thinking about world war one and world war two, uh, and you're just reading this as a cozy mystery, <laughs> what caused the moon to fall? I think you might come away disappointed, uh, because he is pretty subtle about it. it you know, we're walking out of, um, the chrysalids, uh, the book, you don't come away with a, a, a feeling that was, you know, propagandized into you. You come away thinking, well, I wonder what is the situation here? And uh, I like how dignified that person was in that situation. But, geez. Well, there's also this uh, this sense, I mean, it's kind of hard to recapture fully, um, but that you have this uh, civilization-wide horror at uh, World War One that lasts until 1940. Um, and you get things like the uh, uh, Oxford Pledge, where all these uh, elite students swear that they will never go to war, and Hitler right. famously thought this was awesome. Um, and... Uh, and it's it's a it's a gigantic revulsion that World War Two just occludes, um, yeah. Because everyone goes. Neville to war. Chamberlain is a, a fuck up, is what we're told, right? Yeah, and he's a good example of that. Someone who was you know really traumatized by the war, um, and you know, you get many many people who who think this. I mean, you know, literary figures who think this popular yeah. opinion. Yeah, that's the conventional wisdom. Yeah, 
Um, and it's kind of, so you know, it's conventional about, wisdom got us to where we are now, and how, well, and I'm to and all the previous, what? yeah. No, I agree. That's, that's it's the, the, it's that's just that's so crazy, right? Conventional wisdom is we form uh, entangling alliances. Okay, maybe we shouldn't do that. Well, they seem to be happening on the other side now. I guess we're going to have to come up with some pickup pickup team. But so so much of it is unnecessary, right? So much. Well, it looks like I think it's uh, now twelve twenty. Yeah, it's going to be past your gaming time. time. Let, before you do that, uh, yeah. anybody want to book that um, uh, challenger book? Uh, yeah. Poison. So next poison open slot, the, poison the, poison, the poison belt. It's yeah. next. Yeah, next available slot is four thirty. Okay, you want to plop it in there? Let's see if that works for everybody. I can do that. Mice is going to the Dominican Republic. For some, no, that, that that should be fun. Yeah, some sort of work retreat. I don't know. And she went to um, Costa Rica, I think, last year. So she's getting a lot. Are you of in tropical. for this, Terrence? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay, so I'll put the four of us on. Thank you. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Um, it's at I've the never same time. Is it? Yeah, eight a.m. Sunday. Time, you got it. Exactly. Okay. So four p.m. on a Sunday for you. And that's deep into April, so we should be a little warmer by then. Assuming the moon doesn't crash into the... <laughs> I, don't think it, I don't think my weather systems would be as badly affected as, as Terrence's. I think his would be fucked up. No, no. no. Europe, you're, you're, if a Europe pile of screwed. gravel filled the North Europe, Atlantic. Europe is screwed. Um, Minneapolis is just the same as it's always going to be. Nothing's going to change. You know what would be so interesting that I never thought about before is that it would be one landmass all the way from where I am to Japan. Right? It connects three continents instead of just two or three. Oh, I see. It would just be a very, very long trip. It would be the biggest, longest. You know, like just, walk we ever, think yeah. about we think about how you know Russia spans the Asia and Europe. That's a long walk. That's a long train ride. But you could go from you know Los Angeles to uh, Sevastopol, way past that. And uh, what's the you, you could you could go Los Angeles to Vladivostok. Yeah, yeah. Vladivostok um, by train. Uh, yeah, by, by train. train, and now. Uh, just think of uh, how many horse archers will develop uh, in the future <laughs> Muslim-ruled well, world. Right now, I live about half an hour from the Atlantic Ocean, so I'm hosed. Yeah. I think you get a little lap of water, and finally that swamp of, of D.C. would become submerged completely. Completely. Uh, it, it's kind of silly how little water overspilled, and uh, I mean, the whole book's kind of silly. Yeah, but, I, it's, it's social I'm, I'm science, it. not physical science. But anyway, uh, have a good rest thank of you, your Paul. day, gentlemen, and thank you so much. Next week, right. The Crawlers. Next yep. week, The Crawlers. Get me the book. Oh, it's very easy. Uh, it's sorry. very short. It's very short. Take care, everybody. The spelling of my name, which is T-E-R-E-N-C-E. T-E-R-E-N-C-E. Are you fixing that? Yeah. T-E-R-E-N-C-E. I have that T. I, I I have it right. I think I, think I, I did, did it wrong. Right. Jesse yes. did it wrong. Where, oh, good. Okay, how I did, how did I spell it? T two two R's. You have two R's. Okay. Well, there are four was, or five ways of spelling Terrence. Yeah, I was being generous. I was giving you extras. If you have R, yes. repeated letters in the middle of your no, first no, no, name, no, no. that's here, here. It is just you gave him an extra R because it's pirates. Like sheriff. <laughs> R C sheriff with two F's and two R's. 
Um, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the joke. Um, you know, why why is um, why is Arkansas uh, pirate Kansas? Arkansas. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. My my name has two repeated two uh, two sets of repeated letters in the first name. Right? J double E double S's. I was like oversupplied. Yeah. Oversupplied. Two E's, two S's. Yes, but not together. No, not together. Well, they're you know they're symmetrical. Um, it just makes me think like you know my parents could have saved money. J E S. You don't need to. Some people get an extra vowel. They get an I in there. It's silly. You've got. Uh, it's like I am. Uh, I to be. Yeah. Uh, J is I. Yeah. And S A is Latin for to be. It's very. Um. It's very. Uh, biblical. Well, I would say Cartesian as well. Yeah. Right, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's. It's he's not the most popular character in the Bible, that's for sure. But it's a fairly popular <laughs> name. Descartes. Ah, uh, yeah, Descartes not super popular in the Bible. I was telling a student about Descartes the other day, um, explaining why you don't need to read his meditations. <laughs> I just explained what the meditations were, I'm like go through this real quick because we talked about the word meditation and how it has. It's one of those contronyms, right? Uh, what do meditators want to do? They want to have no thoughts. And also, meditations are thoughts. Therefore, it's a contronym. But most people don't talk about it that way. They just think about this, the Sam Harris style of meditation now. I think you don't need to read the meditations because you're meant to do your own. Yes. But you, it's, good, the, it's good to know. It's good to know about them. Handy. Well, yeah. But you, see, you don't uh, absolutely uh, have to. But um, who can invent everything or... Uh, all out of their own navel. You need. <laughs> I talk. I talk to students all the time, right? This what I, I really like it. Young kids, and I say, you know, uh, we're reading a book, and it says the word philosophy, and I said, that's what I studied at university, and, then, <laughs> and they say, what is it? And I'm, mm, that's really hard to say, but basically, it's a history of all the mistakes that people have made about how things are actually existing, and also some stuff about what what's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. <laughs> well, I, I would say, um, you know, Wolfgang Pauli um, would say for a physical hypothesis, um, that's not even wrong. Yeah. Well, so, and I saw also science. Uh, science sort of came out of it. Is, 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 is already good. Yes. Yes. I, I have this theory I want to explain to you about the existence of God. So I'm going to write a whole whole bunch of things down and then that's going to prove these premises and then no they're all wrong <laughs> we've broken from the beginning but since you did it that way i have that gives me an idea of another way to do it oh that one's wrong too okay but eventually we get benjamin franklin doing some science and, <laughs> and sharing it with people in europe and they're like hey this is reproducible speaking of sharing and people i need to get going all right sir um, thank you very much Thank you for the invitation, Jesse, and good talking with all three of you. Yeah. Please take care, be you safe, too. and we'll see you next time. Sounds Thank good. What's the, what's, the, what's the weather like in Nice? You got any uh, snow? No, it's it's very um, sunny mm -hmm. um, recently, and today included blue sky. Um, temperature? Temperature, um, 
I don't know. I didn't go out today. I was reading the book. Um, <laughs> officially, um, between seven and, and 15 in the afternoon. Yeah. But it's 11 you, here now. Um, what? It's 11 degrees. Ah. Outside. But my wife went to the, um, went for a walk, uh, with a friend, uh, along the Promenade des Anglais and sat on the beach, um, to drink a coffee. And she said it was 17 degrees. Is your wife French? So, Yes. Ah, well, that explains everything, sir. <laughs> oh, yes. Whoa. <laughs> She'll be happy to know that. <laughs> oh, that's cute. <laughs> well, I'm Australian, and, and, and my children, um, um, when they grew up, uh-huh. went to Australia. They're oh, in did Melbourne. They? Okay. Yes. So when the catastrophe comes, we'll be moving to to Melbourne anyhow. Uh, that's a different book. We also did that one. It's On the Beach. Really, yes. Really good book. Um, I, good I, I replaced you while you were gone with another Australian, so you've got a little competition. Um, my guy named Connor K. Ah, uh, yes. I've listened to uh, I, some of the things yeah, on I, more horror stuff. Yeah, he's he's really into folk horror. He's got a really good YouTube channel, mm-hmm. although I, I listen to the podcast as well. Uh, the good thing about his YouTube channel is he uses a lot of art to uh, illustrate the essays. Not that they're necessarily exactly about the image that he's talking Like, he doesn't talk about the images necessarily, but he does some movies, reviews as well. His channel's Eldritch Archives. I think that's his, probably his Twitter name, too. Oh, yes. And uh, I, I, what I, one of the things I really like about him is that he's young. Which Yes, I noticed. You like that. I, I think it's very be important. the teacher. Oh, oh, no, not just that. It's like, it's good that there's young people who are uh, interested in things that are old because uh, most of the time, you know, you're walking the streets, you see people reading their phones. That's what they read, right? He's reading an old book. That's, and I'm saying he's young. He's probably 30, right? But that's young compared to me. (laughs) And uh, I think uh, it's good that there are people out there who are, um, you know, interesting and interested and not just uh you know if everybody's older than you you make only friends with old people you got a sad life ahead of you because that means all your like even some of the younger uh jenny you remember jenny colvin she died recently oh no i didn't know at all i think it was probably from her covid vaccine it doesn't say anything about it but it was very sudden um it was not Ah, and it was not a car accident or anything because they would have said that um, but it was like, they, they were adopting a child and she was like complaining, uh, a little bit about her health. Yeah. And then it was like, boom, dead. I was like, what the fuck? Just, she's young, way younger than me. I don't know. She's forties somewhere. I don't know. She was a young person compared to me. And well, it could have been the, the, the vaccine, uh, I don't know. My mom almost died from hers. She 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 got hers in the hospital, her second vaccine, and her heart was fucked. And she was there for like, I want to say three three months. It might have been three weeks over the summer. I don't know. It was last year or the year before. And uh, that was that was she she'd gone in for some broken ribs, um, unrelated to you know COVID or anything. And right before they let her out for the she was going to get out that day. They decided to give her her second shot. And like, <laughs> if she had not been in the hospital, she would have died. Right? Wow. It's really, and which, up. which vaccine was it? 
Uh, could have been Moderna or the other one. Um, Pfizer. It could have been, yeah. Um, they they pushed it so hard here, and like, I'm not a guy who likes getting uh, uh, weird chemicals put into my body, but in order to um, like, my mom had to push it on people. You know, they because her her uh, employees were you know people who are there to help her in her disability government mandated money going to people she gets to manage the money it's it's like a really good system they fucked mm. it up by mandating it for people you know you, if you've had covid you're better than having that thing and so they were pushing it in the province super hard and um it was hard not to get it so uh things I don't know. Jenny, Jenny's the only one I think that probably died from, from uh, that I know. But th- there's no evidence for that other than the very quick, how quick it was. It was not a week, I think. And that, no, no, normally diseases like that don't happen to people. You know, you get a disease and you're dead a week later. Usually, you got some like uh, famous person was uh, Daniel Ellsberg just wrote a note. I'm I'm going, guys. I got, I got the uh, pancreatic cancer, right? No symptoms yet. They went in to look for something else, and they, oh, shit, you got pancreatic cancer. He's writing his deathbed, uh, thank you to everybody, big long thing. And people are already mourning him, even though he's not dead, because it's pancreatic cancer. That takes months, right? So he's going to... Yes. And he's not doing... But, he's you know, not doing anyone chemo, could have a heart attack. But he's not going to do chemo, right? Because there's no point. Because right? it's pancreatic. My uncle got it. I didn't know at the time that that I, I thought, oh, it's oh, oh it'll be, uh, lots of my family members have got cancer. You get my dad died of cancer, right? You can get you, some people live, some people die. Not with pancreatic, it's like ninety nine percent. Ah, yes. So um, that was uh, maybe maybe she got hit by a car, but they would have probably mentioned that. And it was during the height of the uh, you know COVID. No, the, the vaccine sometimes uh, uh, caused the blood clots. Sometimes there's uh, a lot. That's what happened to my mom. Sometimes um, the heart. Um, there's far more um, adverse reactions than we knew about at first. Yep. But, they're still pushing uh, them. Not as hard well, as they were, but they're still pushing them. Well, that's another thing. I, I, I thought... Um, uh, with the with the novel, um, mm-hmm. that one of the reactions was that um, uh, the moon would collide and uh, um, would improve things a little, or we'd adapt. Right, and that's the idea that COVID becomes endemic. It has. Right? I I was well, sick last it? week. I, it's I, sort of endemic, but I, I think I, I probably I it's how how do you tell? There's two kind of coronaviruses that kill people, right? Very rarely, by the way. Unless you're very old or very sick already, there's the regular flu virus, and then there's the COVID virus, which seems to have been made in a lab and leaked out. And so now we have two. Is that incre- going to increase the number of colds we have or uh, sicknesses we have, or is it just going to one replace the other? Is it an ecosystem <laughs> with now two competitors, or is it we going to get? I don't know, but I don't think it really matters either. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it was. It's not why. Well, that's that's your your theory that uh, you've got um, 
a dice throw happening all the time at every level, and just sometimes the bad numbers come up. Uh, well, there's that for sure, right? Every time your cells replicate in your body, there's a good chance of cancer developing. Most yeah. of the time, it doesn't turn into anything because your body catches it. When it doesn't, that's when you're in trouble. Uh, but then, so, th- but that's all natural, right? Unless you're a shark or whatever. There's a few other animals that are resistant to cancers. It's tissues that are <coughs> resistant to cancers. But um, uh, I think the important part is to take note of the fact that we uh, we engineered a virus that we did. And then we spent billions of dollars uh, to pay for the medicine that doesn't work to cure it. Right? This is standard government shit. We should be, like, yes. we should be on the lookout for it. And, uh, that's, so that, that stuff in the book about the newspapers lying, um, is. And then we learn that it's a lie and we go for the next lie. Yep, exactly. It's crazy shit. And now that's, it's like, I want to say it's people need to read more, but I think a lot of people read and they just don't take, they take it in, but they don't take it in, you know? But. Yes, and also there's this idea of cozy reading. You're reading yes. in the things that confirm um, and give you arguments for what you already know. Oh, that's know. the most dangerous, yeah. When uh, you should uh, uh, go for... Um, Subversive reading. You try and find something that shakes your world to the ground. Shakes you up, but has really good arguments. Uh, you know, uh, a really good example of that, there's a Netflix show. Um, called Apocalypse, Ancient Apocalypse, or something like that. Oh, uh, Graham Hancock, is it? Yeah, that's it. So this guy... I've seen it. So it's, I think it's very worth watching. It's a little repetitive. Um, it's not as well edited as it could have been. Um, these these kind of criticisms, you know, for me, that usually is, means that there's something of value there because, <laughs> because uh, I, I complain about people putting music under their YouTube videos, you know. But uh, it's because I watched it all the way through and, and, and all that music. Oh, yes. yeah. But um, in the case of this guy, so I think he's probably a little off his rocker. His theory is probably bad. But the things he's pointing to are very interesting. And they're not um, uh, like Paul can't, uh, can't you know, talk about this, this show because that guy was on joe rogan and joe rogan's a conspiracy theorist or you know believes in moon landings uh non-moon landings whatever um me uh, when i'm confronted with uh things that shake up my beliefs like uh, uh fossil fuels not being fossil made from fossilized plants i'm like okay tell me more <laughs> i want to know about this well uh, my reasoning would be that they're molecules and there's no. We can um, we can make oil in the lab, so they can't be created yeah. by uh, another process. We we can make oil in the lab. It's a thing, right? So why couldn't the Earth be doing that? In fact, it seems probable that I mean, it, in many cases, it seems much more probable. Now, the moon doing it seems kind of weird because if it's a solid rock like we thought, or a hollow rock, I don't know. There'd be a lot of spilled water, <laughs> petroleum. Well, yeah. Well. Yeah. But it doesn't, I mean, it shocks when you see it, but um, it, it's not absolutely theoretically impossible. Right. And so there was a story, the, a similar story the other day. I was telling this to Eric, who, who recently has been having some heart issues. Um, there's a book called uh, Science, uh, A Doctor Who Has a Really Wacko Theory 
uh, that got him canceled, lost his license, blah, blah, blah. Um, his book or essay or whatever is called, uh, the heart is not a pump. And like, when I hear that, like, okay, tell me more. <laughs> now, uh, when I looked into it a little bit, I'm like, Hmm, doesn't sound that greatest. Um, but when you're like, if you say, no, that's impossible. That's not allowed. I'm uh, that's where I say, well, wait a second. Maybe we should question that thing because what if we're wrong? The consequences True. of being wrong with your, with your beliefs is like, uh, worse than having no beliefs at all. I think <laughs> like, I, I, the, the usual one for this is, you know, you, how can you, uh, believe in anything if you don't believe that the shoes you put under your bed last night are still going to be there when you wake up in the morning? This is this very bad logic I've heard. And I used to like, if I looked under my bed and I couldn't find my shoes, I'd be surprised, but I wouldn't think it was the end of my, it wouldn't shatter my world. Yeah, I'd so say, I wouldn't think oh, I'm crazy or yeah. Uh, I'd say maybe I is... maybe I left them at the front door. Maybe somebody came in, in the middle of the night. Maybe and took I misremembered. Them. Yeah, but then again, maybe uh, there's somebody who sneaks in and looks at me when I'm sleeping. In- indeed, and is sending me a message. Yeah, exactly. But if I woke but, up and and saw I had three legs instead of two, I'd be like, "Wow, <laughs> where did this come very from?" Surprised. I'm very surprised about this because I only remember two. Then if I was uh, cognizant enough, I would say, is this a dream? Which I often have, you know, experience in dreams. Oh, this is a dream. Ah, we could do some fun stuff with this. But if it's just waking up, you realize things weren't as they thought you thought they were. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't necessarily shatter your world unless it is something as profound as uh, profoundly like familiar as that used to be a part of me. And, um, it might be like the way, you know, you go a few years without looking in the mirror and they say, who's that guy? <laughs> oh, he has gray hair. He has no hair, right? <laughs> why is he getting so fat? And why is his beard, uh, that used to be blonde now white? I didn't know about this guy. Uh, but you get used to it pretty quick. But there's all sorts of examples. The Graham Hancock example for me, um, um, raises as well, not just an alternative base level explanation, but a question of principle. And mm-hmm. the, well, I haven't seen it, but I read uh, Eric von Dedekin. Um, right. So there's a guy who I don't have any respect for. No, but nonetheless, he does raise a, a question of principle, um, mm-hmm. which is can you do transcultural comparisons or does everything have to be interpreted in terms of? of the particular culture. And he comes along and says, well, that looks like an astral to me. That looks like a message that um, can only be seen from a uh, uh, high altitude. So it's a message to right. the audience and so on. But um, lots of his, and he, he fakes his evidence as well. Mm-hmm. And he lies and so on. But um, people invalidated just on principle. Yes. Um, that type of, so that's the I think that's the difference between von Daniken and uh, Hancock. Hancock is looking at stuff and saying, "Wow, what does this mean?" He comes up with a bad theory. Um, well, yeah, but the type of hypothesis shouldn't be invalidated. He's just hasn't gotten to to the right theory. That's uh, that's science, right? That's science. So you you say, "Let's look at this again." This is the phenomenon we're seeing. Let's find. So, for the Danikin thing, why does he go to astronauts? Why not hot air balloons? Answer. <laughs> answer. 
I, I want aliens. Hancock. This is sensational. Uh, yeah, I, how are you going to sell your book? Now, uh, Hancock is, um, he's, he wants to sell books too. But the difference there is when he points to things and he comes up with his, he, he points how his theories, and his, what I also like about his theory is his theory is, uh, it's basically a long time ago there was a disaster on the earth. Um, civiliz- civilization is older than we think, right? So you take those two things and you say, how is that likely? Well, number one, civilization is older than we think. It has to be, unless we think that the only the most recent thing was the very last one. And I don't think that's true, right? If you look at what archaeology finds is that the more you look, the more stuff you find, the and older the things get, right? Yeah. And it's not going to go back to the year the Earth stopped cooling from a giant iron ball. But it's going to go slightly between that and the time that we have now. Somewhere in there, probably after the dinosaurs, probably, <laughs> but uh, well before uh, six thousand years ago, right? And yeah, and so he says, "Look at this. There's something going on." And he talks about how the um, these rocks are aligned to the stars, and I think, "Oh, well, yeah, okay," but that could be just your misreading. One of the th- ways I was explaining it, I, I think, to Paul. Um, was like today we got lots of books and computer games and we got lots of podcasts and YouTube videos and folk dancing still a little bit. We got all these things we can do back then. They didn't have the internet. So no books, no, um, no video games, no podcasts. So what do they do with their time? And well, they're laboring to get their food. No, that's a modern no. thing, right? They played a lot. They played a lot. And so what you find is you go over a hill and you see some guy pushing some rocks and making a circle. You say, what are you doing, man? He says, I'm making a circle. He says, that's really cool. Can I help? And the guy gets down in the dirt and starts pushing these rocks around, right? It's the f- it's just rec- it's what dudes do, right? Like you've seen dudes. They build forts. Why did they do that? Because it's fun. Why do you do that? Well, because maybe, maybe this will help us. How? I don't know, man. And then they come up with a theory that explains why they like to do the shit they do. Why do bower birds make their bowers? To attract mates. Maybe this is going to help me get girls. <laughs> maybe it did. Uh, so I think his theory is probably weak. I think my theory is probably stronger. <laughs> uh, just like I think hot air balloons are much more likely to explain why people in South America were building images that are best viewed from high places because they were building hot air balloons, which entirely is possible using the tech that they had. Right. We don't see a lot of records of it, but we also don't have very many good records. So I think that that's entirely possible. And when, once you get up there, once you finish making your dirt piles and you say, man, I'm going to show you how it is. And we go up and we see the bird looking down. I did that. Holy shit. We did that, man. I think that explains it a lot better than, chariots of the gods <laughs> but it doesn't sell as many books yes. <laughs> but dirt bike dirt but people like dirt bikes <laughs> they go off in the woods and ride dirt bikes because they have dirt bikes <laughs> they didn't have dirt bikes they only had dirt rocks well, back then <laughs> okay the wow factor is is reduced down yes turn down the wow factor they did things and they had technologies that we never imagined yeah, or, or, yeah, haven't thought about them having, right? Yes, mm-hmm. we never thought. We, but, um, 
uh, why not? And, you know, all slaves theory, I think, is not also true, because a lot of these are very, very early societies. So I don't think you even need to get slaves to, uh, you know, build the slaves, build the pyramids. Like, I don't think I think you do that with capitalism. If you if you <laughs> concentrate enough capital, people can do all sorts of weird things that they want to do. Beautification projects. Well, like that renewal in this book, right? When they're going to fix everything up. It's an interesting book. It's interesting because, in fact, um, the um, the dugouts that uh, uh, Hopkins uh, was proud that he mm-hmm. he knew about. Um, in fact, we learn that um, uh, the uh, people knew those really in the know knew five years before he ever found out about the moon wow. um, crashing. Because um, they say uh, in, in the astro- uh, in the Lunar Astronomy Society that this began to be known five years ago mm-hmm. when they give the big reveal speech. And um, the dugouts, uh, at, at a certain moment, I think the, the vicar says that they're, um, they're of no use at all. And um, he endorses that view then, and then he passes on because he's a little contradictory mm-hmm. on, on that. So it would seem that uh, there are sort of levels of initiation and that everybody at the top levels knew that the dugouts were useless as well. Yeah, and they weren't all useless, but the well, city the of London... Well, the big one that yeah. the pilot came from. Right. The, Probably the, the government huge one, about yeah, where they the had an airplane to. stored. Yeah, but the other dug- dugouts were just to keep people occupied, and it worked great. They loved moving their dirt around, and getting, getting. Uh, everybody loved it, right? Yes, the girls like making the coffee and fixing you know, little wounds, and the the chicken man liked uh, being camar- camaraderie with the the lower classes, who he's better than. Everyone bonded. Everyone bonded in this common goal of making the society better. Maybe, maybe that's just that's the message of books. Enjoy your chicken, <laughs> chicken coop, and yes, uh, bring up like I said your podcasts, mm-hmm. um, uh, my uh, blogs, and exactly, videos, yeah, and en- enjoy your chickens and mm-hmm. and bond uh, wherever you can. Exactly. Good book, and you're allowed sometimes to feel a bit superior because people <laughs> see people see through you, and they don't mind too much. It's you know, too uh, too yeah, I, I always think I, I, I've got this um, Hopkins in me too. I was like, I'm very prideful about this. I'm very prideful about that. What? And then, um, and then Paul is like, No, no, somebody probably thought of that before you. No, 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 <laughs> it's impossible. <laughs> my uh, the one I was saying uh, I was going to go down on my, it's going to be on my gravestone is um, realizing uh, even though it's really really fucking obvious except apparently to everybody including me for most of the time um, with the, the bird in the raven is not a raven like it's really fucking obvious look at this he actually says he's describing it now the thing is is because it's called the raven and he's talking about a raven all the time you think it's about a raven and you get distracted by the beautiful sounds and the and the the words and and you sort of miss the fact that that's not actually a raven 
that's a uh, vulture. <laughs> it's like, it's really there. But no. And so, like, when I'm looking at all the illustrations, which I love to do, I'm like, are they showing it as a raven? And sometimes they do. In fact, most of the times they do. And sometimes they don't. And in those cases, they're like, oh, does this guy know? <laughs> Being like, they have the you bird, a, but they don't have a, the head showing, you know? I'm reading short and deep on that. With, yeah, yeah. Um, Eric. Mm-hmm. And the other one that comes to mind is uh, the the road less taken, mm-hmm. which means the exact opposite of what everyone thinks. Yeah, that one that one's an even more curious case because, uh, I, but I think it's it's designed to be tricky. Uh, yeah. Whereas I I'm not sure the Raven. I think he just assumed everybody was a lot smarter than they were. I think. Well, you you calling it the Raven? You're you're trusting. In uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the ability the, to make a, isn't that weird uh, though? Like that, that we can like go centuries <laughs> reading this story and having all the teachers and like maybe maybe it comes up every once in a while. Some kid says, ah, "I think this, I think this bird is not a raven." And teacher says, "Shut up, kid! This is a fucking raven." <laughs> and then they go on with the class, and all the kids laugh at that kid. But I think like that must happen every once in a while because like when you're reading, um, same with um, uh, Shakespeare, we're reading uh, like Romeo and Juliet. Like, dude, it's so fucking sexualized. Like, are you sure you're allowed to have this in class? And I asked the students about it because we're reading it, and I was like, look at look at what he's saying here. Um, it's not just fart jokes. It's like um, talking about the shape of a girl's ass and the, uh, her literal asshole in her ass. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Shakespeare, how oh, dare you? You're going to get kids in trouble. And teachers like, read. we're going to perform this scene and like nobody talks about it. Like, just, just like, it's a, it's a common uh, thing to talk about in the prudish high schools of 2023. Nope. Supposedly, fine. supposedly, uh, all this catalogical, uh, the erotic stuff is, uh, coded. But the code is <laughs> no. Not, it's right there. Not, not very difficult to crack. No, you just have to like like read the words and like not just listen to the sounds and say the words. You have to read the words and like what? Wait, wait what's what's that mean? The best, my favorite one is um, in the Tempest, which is such a good little play, um, yeah. where he makes a whole bunch of jokes, fart jokes, um, and then he makes a bunch of jokes about the uh, bark. The, by the bark, bark ship, bark of the tree. So he's like doing, you know, uh, this wine was made from the bark of a tree. Uh, and then they're like lying under a gabardine and it's got extra legs and there's farts coming out and they're, t- oh, at the, in that same one, the, right at the beginning, the witches. Um, do you remember that scene? The witches, three witches scene? In um, Macbeth. Yeah, three witches. She says, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. Do, I'll do. So, um, um, oh yeah, here it is. Holy shit. (laughs) Where hast thou been, sister? Second witch. Killing swine. So I don't know what to make of that. Other than, you know, it's the thing that witches do. Sister, where where thou? A sailor's wife had chestnuts in her lap and munched and munched and munched. Give me, quoth I. Aroint thee, witch, the rump-fed runyon cries. Her husband's to Aleppo gone, master o' the tiger. 
But in a sieve I'll thither there, uh, in a sieve I'll thither sail, and like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. So you can't sail in a sieve, it would sink, right? <laughs> but once you get there, she's going to do and do and do. Do what? Um, well, that lady's got a bunch of nuts in her lap. She's going to, that's what it's saying, right? Next line, second witch, I'll give thee a wind. Uh, uh, First witch, thou art kind. Third witch, and I another. First witch, I have uh, and I myself have all the other. Those are all fart jokes, right? I'll give thee a wind. And then the actress or actor is supposed to fart. (laughs) Second, a third witch says, and I another fart. (laughs) The third one, I have all the other. And then fart, 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 fart. Super fart jokes, right? And then it continues, and the very ports they blow, all the quarters that they know, uh, I, the shipman's card, uh, it says compass here, I will drain him dry as hay. Ah, yes. Sleep shall neither night nor day. Hang upon his penthouse lid. He shall live as a man forbid. Weary seven nights, nine times nine, shall shall he dwindle, peak and pine, through the uh, though his bark cannot be lost. Yet it can, it shall be tempest-tossed. Look what I have done. So it's like she's thinking to fuck him to death. <laughs> I can't yeah. sink his ship, but I'm going to make that ship rock and back. Like, <laughs> then we're supposed to read that in school and not, like, laugh? Like, this is hilarious? It's well, not coded. I, <laughs> it's just words. I read it in school, and I didn't know that. Right? But you have to, like, you have to, you have to go in knowing, okay, Poe likes dead ladies. Poe drinks a lot. Uh, or at least has a strong relationship with alcohol. And he loves dead women. He wants them to come back to life. Once you see that, you can tell something's written by Poe. What's Shakespeare like? Fart jokes. <laughs> sex jokes. Sure. Then you know, go in reading, you can pretty much tell, oh, this is a sex joke. right? And he does other kinds of jokes, too, but fart but, and sex uh, jokes. But that, uh, I did, um, I must have been 15, and mm-hmm. I went to a a Catholic school run by the Christian brothers. Right. So they never put it out, anything like that. <laughs> well, they don't want to get sexually excited because they're not allowed to do anything about it. <laughs> yes, officially. <laughs> no, not officially. It's illegal. But, oh, uh, there you are. I mean, he's playing to the absolute base, and I love it. I think it's wonderful that they let Shakespeare be taught in school because... And they don't even have to change his words like Roald Dahl, right? Because <laughs> they don't, they're not seeing them. What they, did I see? I, I remember going to a play. Mm-hmm. Um, it may have been King Lear. Mm-hmm. So I was 15 maybe. And it was our um, English teacher, our Christian brother. And there was some speech and they said something about being um, on the verge Mm-hmm. It was meant to be the grass right on the verge Edge, yeah. of conservation. I get and it. So I I saw people laughing and I asked the teacher what did it mean, and he just uh, lied to you. Smiled and said uh, he's talking about the grass. Or <laughs> yeah, there's grass there too on the verge. So <laughs> killing curiosity. Yeah. Killing uh, freedom of perception. Mm-hmm. Making it dumb so everybody can not feel upset that they were, they were, uh, you know, I, I used to read uh, Kurt Vonnegut 
I like I I read for school for students. Harrison Bergeron and I used to think this is a fucking stupid story. I used to like be annoyed that they taught it in school, and then sort of times sort of started changing. And I'm like, maybe he's got some. Like I don't like well, yeah, I don't like his satire, but he he like really did point out something in that satire that I hadn't seen before in the world. I hadn't seen it before in the world. Having but, your continuity uh, mental continuity broken down. Right. All the time. And the re-equalization um, stuff. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? That's 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 what's happening today. It is. It's, it, it's nuts. So, yeah, I do recommend that uh, Graham Hancock thing. You, you don't need to watch the whole whole series if you once you get the idea. Because basically he just goes, in every episode he goes to a uh, play, uh, some... Lubecky Tappy or some some recently discovered or newly um, aged, uh, newly dated uh, place and says, you know, look at this, look at this, look at this. And uh, he gets banned from one of them. Like, he's not allowed to go to one of them in, uh, it's like Serpent Hill or something in eastern states where the mound builders were. And, uh, he makes a big deal out of that, and uh, rightly so. Because well, I don't know. Yes, scientists. Scientists like like I, I. I'm really into. I was really into archaeology, but they have. Uh, there's something this week again about uh, peer review being like the worst thing that ever happened to science, because now nobody has to actually reproduce experiments. <laughs> they just send it to their peer reviewers, and they all agree it was fine, and and then you can do another thing and you send it for peer review and then it's all like a big circle jerk whereas like no that guy in the united states he says i can get electricity from lightning bolts i don't believe him let me try it out (laughs) holy shit it works he was right although i noticed his voltage is wrong he he says it's like that's how it's supposed to work but no we got it like everybody's just well that that's why i'd like to do this this asimov science book Mm. because there's this whole analysis that when people um, started putting forward um, the heliocentric hypothesis mm-hmm. to replace the geocentric one, it didn't work. Nope. And even uh, Galileo. It was wrong. <laughs> Copernicus had to, um, supposedly, he did that to get rid of the epicycles, but he That's was right. a, a, obliged to put in his own epicycle. Yep. And, and the telescope didn't work either. Mm-hmm. And even when it did work, you didn't have a theory to explain what uh, were the uh, reliable observations and what were the distortions. Mm-hmm. So you had to sort of um, have a rule of thumb attitude for uh, decades. There's so, a, a show recently on uh, – there's a guy on shows up on Joe Rogan every once in a while. <clears throat> I, he's uh, – I don't know. He's got his own podcast. Um, but basically he was talking about string theory being a big waste of time. Um, and, uh, he's, he's one of those famous guys. Wife is also a science person and got in trouble. He gets in trouble with a lot of people because he, he says this is fucking bullshit <laughs> or somebody's lying or, you know, there's no evidence for the, like, um, and so I think we are due for some reexamination of, uh, the old, the old way they did science where Lots of guys are wrong all the time. 
but they make interesting observations and claims and people test it. And then we get better and better and closer and closer to something manageably. And I bring this up because, you know, I, when I smelled, when I first heard about dark matter, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then they added dark energy. I'm like, this is fucking bullshit. But no, these are epicycles. They are fucking epicycles on the grandest scale and untestable, right? It, but it, interesting. Oh, uh, great for making money. Great for selling covers of popular science. But after a while, and I haven't got my flying car, I'm starting to doubt. <laughs> this is the sixteenth time it's, they put that flying car in the fucking cover. I'm starting to doubt that the flying car is coming. Just like string theory, right? It's it's. it's they're all up their own asses blowing smoke at each other and if you dare to question it say maybe we shouldn't be spending money on people who are doing math for physics yeah there's i'm not so sure of that i think uh, you need I to build more colliders there you, you um there's this uh what's this woman uh physicist uh, <clears throat> sabine uh hosfeld or hosfeld mm-hmm. um she thinks that sort of um the end of science as well, but uh, I think I, I think you need um, really really abstract theories. That if you're going to progress, either you've got to go into um, really really higher and higher energy uh, cyclotrons or whatever, or um, uh, really um, abstract um, uh, thinking, even more abstract than before. If you're going to come up with something new, yeah, but you and have then, to have some way to test those theories. Well, testing is is um, uh, Eric uh, Weinstein's uh, the guy I was thinking of. If you heard of him, who what Eric Weinstein is the Joe Rogan guy. He's talking. Ah, about, he's talking. To, he, he's basically he's on there to say you know he shows up every few months or whatever. He was on there to say I'm done with this fucking UFO bullshit. Um, it's bullshit. Um, people are wasting money and and wasting time, and they're all sucking their own dicks uh, in a circle jerk or whatever. He's putting it a lot more politely than I am. But like Michio Kaku gets on fucking TV and he says, "Oh yeah, but he's bullshit." Yes, but he's one of the lead string theorists, right? But is I mean, he pushes it. Is he really uh, doing it and pushing it further? No, they, they, no, they push it. They push it all over the place, and they say this one will work. <laughs> and it's just uh, it makes Whoa. more fucking epicycles. <coughs> because there were, well, there were all these string theories, and then somebody proved that they were all um, um, mathematically equivalent. Yeah, he, so he actually talks a little bit about that, and I'm it's a lot above my pay grade because I'm not a big. They math weren't guy. going further then. I mean, if they're formally equivalent, um, not one of them has has pushed it to a higher level. Uh, my idea is uh, one um, given what we know about how uh, uh, Galilei's hypotheses and his instruments didn't work straight away but sort of together that created a a persuasive and convincing picture and the proof um, came later yeah, uh, that, this is this is why Galileo is Galileo why Einstein is Einstein Einstein says I got a great idea and they say, well, we should be able to test that, sir. And they're like, well, get your telescopes out and wait for this event. And then, holy fuck, he was right. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The greatest guy ever. The, the confirmation. He said, confirmation by little effects don't interest me. It's the beauty of the thing yes. um, that's important. And 
confirmation takes time, but the problem is how much time are you willing to to wait? If you've got even higher into abstraction, the confirmation I'm not willing to wait that long. Perhaps <laughs> not twenty, thirty, well, forty well, fucking the years. The problem is, is money and and, yes. and fame and reputation. Yes, but they're all going uh, to conferences uh, and giving each other drinks. But are well, they actually? But that's just capitalism. I mean, that's kind of the issue, right? Is that I've got is that science has been turned into like it used to? Science used to be the hobby of rich dudes, right, with lots of free time. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin, what's he want to do? I got lots of time. I'm interested in lightning. <laughs> I like hot stoves. <laughs> I'm interested in lightning. Uh, I also like to eat, and, uh, but I mostly like thinking about lightning. And then he does some stuff and he publishes it, sends it to his friends who are also interested in it. Now it's a fucking business. And so they make the disease, then they make the fucking cure for the disease that doesn't work. And then they, man, they control the government that makes you have to take it. And that's not science anymore. No, that's not science at all. But in, in um, I, I noticed a, a theme that comes back in um, Sheriff's work mm-hmm. is um, being uh, retired but fairly wealthy. Yeah. And as the, for me, the guy was a, a school teacher, mm-hmm. um, and uh, he retired at the age of forty-seven and became a low-level gentleman. Yep. And that's what you need. You need time. You do. So he he used his time to do uh, breed uh, uh, prize uh, hens, mm-hmm. but even to do that, you need lots of time. And, he was also um, willing to buy a telescope. <laughs> what? He was also willing to buy a telescope, right? Instead yeah. of then doing all the theoretical shit, like they get lectures from people who used a telescope. They're like, hey, let's buy a telescope. And he was let's so excited and, about and it, look right? for ourselves. Yes, exactly. And so, it, what happens if you do that? Oh, you might find out the moon's moving closer. Oh, God. You might learn something of value, like. No, you don't need no microscopes in your house, son. You just listen to the guy who read about a microscope in a book one time. That'll be fine. Well, that's it. So you need um, uh, time, money, curiosity. Mm-hmm. And um, that's why it's not working now, because um, people uh, are going for the money. And... Uh, it's published and the pride, page. pride, pride is and, in there too. But money goes with it, and it's the ass licking to succeed. Yes, uh, I, I've always pointed out on my blog that uh, university professors are never surprised that so many of their students agree with them. <laughs> <laughs> they think it's confirmation <laughs> when it's 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 a career strategy. Yeah, you know, I, I was very I, I was in school for a long time, and my grades were not very good. <laughs> Most of the time, um, when they were good, it was very unusual, and I was like, "What's wrong with me?" <laughs> and the answer was, "I didn't agree with the teacher at all times." <laughs> I mean, there is some memorization involved in, as well, but I mean, when, when I teach students now, I'm like, "Okay, we can write this essay for you, or for us, or for your teacher, but we need to know your teacher really well." What will her or his reaction be to this? And then if we do that, um, we're making a gamble because we, most of the time we just don't know enough about the teacher. Kids kids don't have much time with their teacher. Maybe it's their first class with a teacher. So if you want to get a good mark, this is the way to do it. But I don't really care about that. And I know you care and your mom cares. 
But uh, what my my plan is, we're going to help you become a good writer so that once you pick up on these cues of what the teacher wants, you'll be able to make write grammatical sentences because the way sent the way essays are written today, they don't look for the idea; they only look for how many mistakes. And they count the mistakes and they subtract from the A. That's basically it, right? I, uh, well, yeah, because it's not even the psychology of the the individual psychology of the teacher. Mm-hmm. It's the psychology of the teacher as um, somebody who's overworked mm-hmm. and um, as um, uh, 40 um, papers to, to correct in a limited time. So I always and, tell them they need to uh, add some humor because the rest of the papers are going to be fucking boring. And maybe yes. if your teacher has a sense of humor, um, you, like make a little joke. Uh, in the essay, and maybe she'll like it and give you a mark higher than she would otherwise, because yours doesn't. Yours stands out from the crowd as not being another piece of shit that they have to deal with. Right, <laughs> right. Shorter paragraphs, not not a page and a half long. That yeah. makes up the text more. Um, have uh, really, really uh, do something uh, oh, great for the introduction. It's a gamble. It's a gamble. <laughs> Especially if you don't know your teacher. Well, those those things that work for almost any teacher. No, no, not the high school kids. Uh, we get. We, uh, I I tend to be very conservative with them because. Honestly, there's some fucking terrible teachers out there, man. You cannot believe how bad some of these. Oh, I know. I was about them for <laughs> 20 years. Oh, dude. <laughs> so, no, they're getting they're worse. Though. They're getting worse, is what I'm saying. I'm like. <laughs> it's so, so sort of. Uh, uh, I, we, there's a new curriculum in, in British Columbia. It's really funny. The uh, government of British Columbia, uh, British Columbia doesn't have any treaties almost anywhere with any of the Indians. All yes. the Indians just had their land expropriated by Canada, right? Uh, whereas the rest of Canada oh. has like treaties. So there's yes. some piece of land that they're pushed onto and they say they get a, you know, 50 bucks a month or something for perpetuity for having lost all of Alberta. But in British Columbia, they didn't have that. So there's uh, just a few treaties that have started recently. But the government is like bulldozing uh, Indian land right now to try and get a pipeline from Alberta to. Uh, to uh, the coast because money, you know, um, but the government is also trying to um, make make us like Indians and ple- feel bad for them. All the things that the government has done hard done by. So they've got like this competing narrative. One is we have to do the pipelines and, and do, go against these people. And the other is we have to try and make the people sympathetic to the Indians. So they mandated that uh, any high school graduate now has to have a certain number of credit courses on studying uh, natives or whatever. I, I call them Indians because that's what the, my friends who are Indians call themselves. Or they, you mm-hmm. know, they name them their own group. They don't, uh, what is native? First Nations, that's the most popular PC term for it. In any case, uh, so my students are all having to study First Nations stuff, like just since last semester. I'm like, what? Why all this? And I'm realizing, oh, they're required. That, so the reason I found this out, that they're required, it's because one of the student teach. Oh, I say student teach. One of the teachers said, "Your job is to go to this website, <laughs> website, and um, read this, and then write something about it." And it was basically the the propaganda for the government to tell the, the teachers. It's like the teach teachers getting the kid to do the homework and then marking them on it. I'm like, holy, how can you do that? <laughs> 
Because <laughs> it's like the teacher doesn't know. Because <laughs> they never were taught this stuff in school. My sister's an Indian. I, I know a lot of Indians. I'm interested in reading books. And occasionally there would be a you know Indian story or something. But it's like a big... I think it's going to be a big flood of this stuff. My, t- my sister, I haven't heard much from her. I assume she's uh, teaching a lot of this stuff. Because she she's got a lot of work recently as a, a Indian teacher who's an Indian. That's like a very valuable thing, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, wow, a whole new industry starting up because of government mandate. But it's just like, you you know, they're bad when they, they don't see Shakespeare is full of uh, sex jokes, right? <laughs> Fart jokes. But when they, they've never done Indians before and don't know, you know, even how to do it. Oh, it's it's like a horrible like factory trying to make cars, and the first cars coming out of the factory are shit, <laughs> absolute shit. They don't even start; just <laughs> don't roll, and they're all dented or whatever. So it's going to be interesting over the next few uh, years, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. How I got on that. <clears throat> I'm eating your whole night though. When we st- what time we started four, and it's been. It's um no we started at five my time and oh, it's eight twenty okay. eight twenty okay did I make so, you miss your dinner mm, your tea it's there wait my wife has eaten <laughs> oh sorry about that no that's okay he can skip a meal every uh, every um few weeks yes. when you come on the podcast or whatever when's your next one let's see you I signed up know. for a whole bunch crawlers what? golden slave four day planet. Oh, I said uh, you're uh, on Pirates for... Enlightenment. Yeah. Oh, I seem to and have Poison given... Belt. Okay. Poison and Belt. I would like, uh, although it's one following the other, the Asimov one. Yep. Uh, I can add you to that. Oh, yeah, you're on there. Poison Belt, Breakthroughs in Science, and Pirate Enlightenment. That's that's enough. Yeah, Couldn't that's enough. Those. Although the, yeah, they're all spaced together there. Except for Starbuck. I can yeah. do. I'm, I'm retired, but I, <laughs> I, I do, do do other things. Yeah, of course. I don't know how you managed to do everything. Because I don't do anything and else, basically. That's why. Other than play computer too. games and uh, tutor occasionally. Yeah, I have a lot of free time, which I use by researching. Well, there you are. That's what you need. You're, you're, you're sort of um, retired, but doing stuff to um I'm down to money. three days a week. Is that no two days a week of work right now? It's crazy. I'm, hopefully it'll pick up. Um, it always does, but the COVID fucking devastated the industry of uh, in-person tutoring. It's in-person, but you. I had like two days a week now. Currently, is one. I've in-person. The rest is all fucking online. Yes. Well, my last two years at, at high school. Um, were because I've got um, uh, asthma and uh, other little lung problems. I I was in um, uh, how do you call that in 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 distance um, uh, Zoom calls? I don't know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So online. For, I was on, yeah online teaching. Yeah, it's terrible, on, right? It's terrible, and uh, most of it was even more just an empty ritual than teaching is um, in, in a classroom. Oof. And um, uh, 
there are always technical problems and uh, send you my that didn't stop them from, from changing Hill. the curriculum all the time and the exams that we had to teach all the time. So, because I was at the um, the end of, um, oh, I was in uh, senior high school, but um, I had a, a fair few exam classes at the, the last year in high school, Terminal in French. So, um, uh, they're changing their idea of what was on the program and what, uh, how it was meant to be tested. Um, always added more work to do, uh, aside from the, the teaching work, which may, um, mean I, ha- I may have more sympathy for your, uh, teachers who suddenly have to teach, um, Oh, uh, I have sympathy Indians. for them too. It's just so fucking pathetic. Uh, I mean, dude, is there anything harder than having a whole bunch of students coming in? Like, I, 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 the biggest class I ever taught was like 22 students, something like that, right? And I did fine, but I was, I was not doing regular school teaching. I was doing tutoring. It's much more like, well, in that, in that case, it's not so much like tutoring. It's, it's much more like university where you get up on the stage and you, tell them a bunch of stuff and then they laugh and then you ask them questions and you try and get it's like a, being a you know uh you're trying to engage students with ideas right um and i was a novelty as well and i'm i'm good at that thing but um the more students you add the harder it is well i thought i had 35 that's 22 tough. was was relaxing oh yeah it was really good when i had um when i had 10 Ten, ten, which ten is very rare. Fair, uh, nor, the normal size I have is one. Sometimes I have two. So I've had four. But distance, the more you add, the worse it fucking is. Right? Like I had, I had science um, students who um, mastered the technology uh, better than me, so they could hack. Um, <laughs> and it was always. Um, Touch and go whether uh, it would work. Um, I, I was criticizing my students. I said, I think you're playing Roblox again while we're, we're in class. <laughs> Roblox is like a website where it's a game where it's like kind of like Minecraft, but you make your own games and other people make games using these Minecraft style tools. And it's very popular with young kids. So I was kind of insulting them by saying it was for young kids because they were a little slightly, slightly older than that age. They're more into other games. But um, yeah, check out my thread on. I sent it to you in direct message on uh, Doctor yes. Who. Have you? Uh, were you a Doctor Who guy? I, I, I watched Doctor Who. Well, I'm 69. No, I'm not. I'm 68 and a half. Mm-hmm. And two thirds. So I watched the first <laughs> Doctor Who um, while it was airing. When it was airing, when oh, it well, first then. came out um, in Australia, yeah. and I really loved it. After the first regeneration. Um, uh, I still liked it, and I think I didn't see um, uh, other regenerations because I I got interested in other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then I got interested in again um, when it was um, rebooted with um, what's the name of that guy, Christopher? Yeah, I don't know. The Dark, supposedly the. The the dark Doctor Who, yeah. uh, real actor Christopher. What's his name? Eccleston. Um, yes. Yes. So I watched I watched that and um, 
with um who was right after him was it already David I, Tennant yeah I, I I watched basically the first one of Eccleston and I said this is not for me no but I I tried for a while and I gave up because even my pu- uh, my pupils uh, weren't talking about it either <laughs> except for a, a few oh doctor you're so gay I'm like no <laughs> So I watched other stuff um, that they were watching as well. Although Buffy or whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> Buffy the Vampire Slayer or whatever. Well, no, <clears throat> I discovered that um, when I wasn't working all by myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was good uh, I, I, as a concept. Yeah, I, never, I watched I, the movie. Again, I caught it at the beginning. Yeah, I watched but, the movie. But it, it was crazy. It was silly. And um, it became very, very... Uh, Twisted and morbid uh, uh, sometimes mm. with the, the goddess who was inflicting pain on a girl. Things go on too long, is what. <laughs> it's like she just... couldn't react; otherwise, the goddess would kill everyone that she could see. It's so she good. had to suffer this this horrible pain. That that bothered me, so I stopped uh, watching then. Um, and so... I watched The Last of Us. Oh, uh, yeah. that has lots of fungus things, which are scary for me. I don't want to have nightmares. You, know, you find that scary? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'm not. Uh, 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 zombies aren't scary, but fungus zombies would be scary. I just because they're it, blind as well. Uh, yeah, I, I didn't play the game, but I heard the game was good. So I, I expect that the show would be good, but uh, it, I got it's pretty good to use your term. Yeah. Um, the peripheral was uh, pretty good. In yeah, I watched it. most of that. That was, uh, I don't know, seven episodes or something. And I was like, this is pretty good, but I don't, I, I don't need it to go on forever. I, the end is silly, and it was. Well, uh, uh, I was wondering how they're going to fit all the novel in, and they sort of fit it all in, and except they create the possibility of a second sequel, series. Yeah. Yeah, so that doesn't. I like the me. concept. I, I read a comic he did. William Gibson did. Uh, I don't think I finished it, but it was the ex- it was the same premise actually as the peripheral, is that people from the future go back in time and play around, and it was uh, interestingly it was World War Two, so they go back oh, yes. to World War Two and fiddle around with it and do their uh, I don't think there was stuff about bodies, uh, robots, and but the, yeah the show was pretty slick, um, but honestly everything goes on too long. And, uh, yes, so- like I said, when it's, when it's short and that's the idea and they do just that. Like, I don't need a Gattaca television series. Gattaca was perfect as it is. I don't need any more. I don't need Gattaca 2. Maybe somebody could come up with a great concept. I'm guessing not. I'm guessing what they'll do is like, Man in the High, Ca- that show, Man in the High Castle, I didn't, I couldn't watch it. After the fir- first episode, I'm like, a book is not a film. So, yes, I understand you have to do a film version and showing film footage from World War II with Hitler and uh, Hitler winning or whatever. Like, it's fine. But that's not what the show is. The show is churn. It's like, we've got to move this character around. Oh, there's this scene. It's like the way Harry Potter's constructed is like scene-based rather than idea-based. So in, in this thread I did on Doctor Who, I... I just so happened to be – I read a book, a uh, Michael Crichton book recently, and it had a very Philip K. Dick theme like I was not expecting. It's like it's about drugs and perception of reality and like, wow, that's cool. Oh, Michael yes. Crichton. 
really, really, really interesting book. It's called Drug of Choice. Um, oh, yes, I saw you did. I can't keep up with all your oh, podcasts. It's weekly, yo. <laughs> it's the, you know, it's not expected to, but, um, so I was watching doc, or I was listening to Doctor Who, uh, on, it's all on archive.org, by the way. It's awesome. Um, yes. Uh, I was listening to a Doctor Who episode I probably never watched originally called Keys of Marinus. And, uh, I'm comparing it to like later Doctor Who, where they do this over a whole season, but each individual, s- episode in the serial is its own standalone and then in this particular serial and in the second oh, one yes. they go to a little place where uh ev- ev- everything looks one way to them but in reality is a different way uh oh. so they think like oh this is beautiful silk and it's not it's just a pile of rags right they say oh this is a gorgeous cup and no it's a it's a just dirty old mug as like oh that's really cool Right, little. That's in the a wrinkle in time in in the. Ah, uh, uh, apparently, uh, apparently, uh, I was looking at my high school records, or no, elementary school. Um, one of my, <laughs> one of my uh, teachers, I guess probably my only teacher that grade. She says Jesse's obsessed with the wrinkle of time. That was like the most of the report card. <laughs> I'm well, like I don't even rem- remember it, other than liking it. And then I bought the comic book, and then because I was excited there was going to be a movie, I bought the comic book adaptation, and I started reading about the book, and it sounds like shit. <laughs> I don't remember Wrinkle in Time, but I was obsessed with it. I at remember Tezzering, um, and uh, that was the first time I was only how old was I? I was only ten years old or nine years old, uh-huh. and that was the first time I'd seen E equals MC squared. Wow, and. Um, and this, blew this your thing mind. about things being made to appear uh, good, um, rich, fine, or tasty when uh, somebody else not under the influence could see wow. that they were. Now I want to rubbish. read it again, even though I, I don't want to shit all over it. So I, no, you wouldn't like it. I, cause I it, always regretted not reading all the rest, but uh, at the same time, uh, I, I hated the, the film. Yeah, I um, heard it was garbage. Hot uh, I, I didn't know there was a comic. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I don't remember it being like a famous thing, but I, I, I think I have it in my stack. I've got a, a big stack of things. I've got one of the ones I've got is a Robert Silverberg novel that got. Uh, and he's a guy who's still alive who I think isn't getting as much deserve as he is because he wrote a lot of good stuff. Um, and he wrote a book. Uh, I don't know anything about it other than it's got like alien elephants. Uh, in, in the premise, and there was a comic book adaptation. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Silverberg. So I bought it, and I know is there's not the Night Wings. No, Night Wings is, is, I think, a novelette. Um, let me see if I can find this Silverberg. Because I've got a comic, I've got lots of comics that I downloaded that I haven't read. Uh, and I had Elephant Aliens. Let's see. Uh, Downward to Earth, it's called. Ah, yes. I have not read it. It's 3.8 on, it. on wiki something. Oh, no. Uh, Goodreads. Who, what's it called? Who knoweth the spirit of men killeth upward and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to earth? Okay, there's the title from Ecclesiastes. Yes. Somebody says, okay, they did resemble elephants. It can't be denied. That led many people to underestimate the Nildorar. And they're obviously fearsome commensals, the Suldorar. Okay, so deep into the just so I don't know if the aliens come from 
another planet, come down to Earth or whatever. But I got the comic book in a hardcover format. And yeah. it's a Silverbrook book I haven't read. So, and I think there's an audiobook of it. So I'm willing to do it. Downward to Earth. Let's see if there's an audiobook. I'm pretty sure there is. Yes, there is an audiobook, but I, I haven't read it or listened to it. Well, that sounds it like we're signing up together. He's amazing. Uh, Dying Inside is, is an Dude, amazing Dude, what a great book. I, I, I had the uh, record. I once met him, and I'm like, I have your record. And he says, oh, I got a big stack of them in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, I got your record. Um, it was like a very abridged, like two chapters or something. And I, I didn't really like it uh, as a record. Um, but what I did like was other Robert Silverberg stuff I'd read, including like, uh, he's got a story called Passengers that everybody knows, but I'd read a bunch. Uh, That's really good. A really good. That. Yeah. And there's, and there's a skull, one, book of um, skulls. That's a really good book. I listened to your podcast, but I still haven't read the, the, the book. It's like, it's of journey, right? It's nice. So this is seven hours, nine minutes. You want to book it? Yes. Let's do it. Putting it on the schedule. I've always wanted to read it. Downward to Earth. Downward to Earth by Robert Silver. Okay, so the next available slot would be right after you do the Poison Belt. But the Poison Belt is short. Yes. <laughs> Your wife's going to hate me. Um, uh, that'd be the first week of... Downward to Earth. May. In comic. I, I see it. Yeah, it's somewhere around here. It's it's not super thick, It's but it's, it's big format. Um, two volumes of 57 pages. Oh, it's probably European then. Available um, on uh, Libgen. Oh, there you go. Good pirate. So place. I could read it as well. Yeah. The comic. Uh, so it's the next, it'll be the 7th of May. Does that work for you? Do you do that? Do you do Libgen? I, I know of it, but I don't do it. Um, not no, because I'm against it, but because I, I've got so many other sources. Um, ah, uh, one, no. of the, one of the. Um, I don't have. Yeah. Uh, so does that work for you? The fifth, uh, seventh what of day, May. If, if you wanted to share sources, it will be. Oh, I can do that with you. But let me let's determine this date because I'm right on hovering over it. Uh, okay. Okay. Five seven. Does that work for you? What? Uh, May seventh, the Sunday. May seventh. Oh, yes. Does that work? In principle, uh, how can okay. you no that far in advance? But yeah. Uh, well, the, I schedule my life around this, right? So. We're, we're not doing anything till maybe Christmas going to Australia. Oh, okay, good, so good. I've got the full year. Through. All right, excellent. So the 7th or the 5th in my terms. 20, uh, May, May 7th. May 7th. All yes. Right. All right. So I'm putting Jesse and Terrence. And we'll probably pick up a few along the way. Oh, wait. Is there two R's in Terrence or one? One R and an one E R. after the R. Wait, uh, yeah, of course. Okay. Uh, Not of e course. Everybody gets a wrong. C E. Okay. I don't know why. I, I don't know. It doesn't really matter. I. It's mostly as mostly for scheduling. I, I will type your name into the podcast show notes at some point. Okay, so that's solved. Now you want to share sources. So, um, I'm going to press stop on my recording because I don't. I, I won't. Are you sharing with everybody? Uh, everything. Hang on. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash SFF audio. Um, did we get Brian? I don't know. Did you? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. Um, and uh, I guess when I start, I started um, getting the pieces for the book, you know, like uh, looking, looking online for stuff. Um, I said, holy shit, this is a Brian book. <laughs> I think that's what happened. Because uh, didn't we do like a billion years ago, um, before the moon crashed into the earth, didn't we do a book uh, that was about, it's kind of like the Red uh, Death by Jack London. It's not called the Red Death. The Red Plague. But it was... Scarlet Plague. Scarlet Plague, yeah, that's the Scarlet Plague. Scarlet Plague. But there's uh, one from the 1940s, I want to say. Um, it's Earth Abides. Didn't, weren't you on Earth Abides? I may have been. Yeah, that seems like like it was. But then I think what really got me was uh, the chickens. <laughs> and I was like, oh, the that's, a, that's a Brian. That's a Brian thing. Um, and also, uh, this is the kind of book that Brian would have read. And not having read it. Um, I think maybe that's how I proposed it. So have you read this? Or something I have like that? not read it. Um, I'm, well, you, uh, you better start. We're going to do a show on it in a few minutes here, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I don't. Uh, I've read the uh, um, uh, Journey's End, and I've seen a film of it, um, okay. which is much more famous. Um, but uh, I'd not but, heard of uh, the guy this until, was new to me. until, you know, about a month ago. Alec Naval Lee, I think, is responsible for probably um, – for Terrence reading it and James Wallace Harris, because it, he did a review for, I think it was New York times, which I've not read um, because I wanted to read the book <laughs> and just the, the summary of what the book was about the premise. Uh, I said, what, why haven't I heard of this book? Um, <coughs> and clearly it's been suppressed. <laughs> it's not been suppressed. Jesse. <laughs> Okay. Yes, the book explains how things get suppressed. Yes. It's been buried in a uh, vacuum-sealed uh, thermos in a brick wall <laughs> in England for several hundred years. I think that's that must be the explanation for why we hadn't heard of this book prior to... Right? That's um, it. Yeah, clearly. Yeah. Sure, right. sure, Jesse, sure. Yes, he, Paul agrees. All right, so I, I, I do have one little item I'm going to send to you guys. I went on uh, archive.org and borrowed a book, which is something I never do. Um, and uh, I dug, I got a one-hour, uh, what do you call that, uh, license? No, what do they call Bor borrow? I borrow, digitally borrowed the book for one hour, which is mm. silly thing that they have as an option you have to like do more to sign in for like to get it out for a week a digital yeah. copy of a infinitely replicable book they're art making artificially scarce whatever um so what i did i went and got screenshots of because uh, it won't even let you download i got screenshots of the relevant items and the most relevant uh is a map and when I was going through it, I'm like, what the fuck does this mean? <laughs> uh, so I'm going to send that to you as a group here. Send. Um, and I was like, I don't even know what this means. <laughs> but now I know what it means. Now I, you ah. know what it means. Now that you've read the book, yeah. you know what this means. I, I, it like makes 
a lot more sense. Um, there are also some illustrations that are not entirely necessary, but quite nice. So I'll send those to the group as well. And there was an introduction and conclusion that uh, are not worth reading from, but I read them. What do you mean they're not worth reading from? But you I'll read send them. them. Um, oh. They're just, you know, some guy did an introduction and you're going to get a couple extraneous ones here. <laughs> oh, pick too many. Okay. Limit of 10. Michael Moorcock did an introduction. Yeah. Um, wow. That's, but, that's but not, but not in this version. Right. No, I I got hold of um, uh, that might be a book reading. of his essays, L- London Peculiar and Other Non-Fiction. All right. London's Calling. All right, so um, uh, you're getting a duplicate of the map, and then I'll do one more batch of illustrations. Very understated. And you're going to uh, some extra desktop yeah. stuff, because that's just the way convenience looks. Most of illustrations. Oh, ah, this is great stuff. Yeah, <laughs> nice good material. The ocean liner scroll down on the yeah. On the yeah, yeah. No, I don't think they're in order of uh, how I plucked them. I don't. Uh, but there's the guy with this you, chicken. You can right. figure it all out. So it what, didn't make any George, sense when I was pulling it. What's the George Gamow thing? You put? Oh, ah, wow, good. That's the epilogue. Yeah, where he debunks the science. I couldn't get hold of that. Yeah. Um, did did I put that in there? Did we got that? Yes. Okay. It's very small text. I put them all on one page and just screenshot it so it's a little bit hard to see. But I think um, the illustrations made it worth it. And having the map uh, it makes a hell of a lot more sense once you read the book. <laughs> I can't imagine it makes any sense without it. Uh, um, did I send all? Oh yeah, looks like I I don't see uh, the two um, introduction and conclusion, but I'll drop them in there again in case you didn't get them and want them. Full of holes. Epilogue and uh, John introduction by John Gassner. Never heard of him. And George. I'm at somebody. What the epilogue is? George Gamo. He wrote one, two, three of Infinity. Oh, what's that? I read that book. It, it's a, it was a popular um, math book way back oh. in the 40s and 50s, but I wound up reading it in the 70s. Um, so I recognized that name, like George Gamble. Oh, what's he thinking? Infinity George Gamble. Nice. Interesting. Yes, uh, I read him uh, 40, 40 years, no, 50, <laughs> yeah, so, 50 years ago. Wow. Mr. Topkin's yes. book, books um, explaining relativity and quantum theory um, oh. by means of a, a, a young adult adventure. Cool. Yeah, yeah. He no, he, no. He was really cool back in the day. Yeah. I wonder if it's public domain. I don't know, Jesse. But, but there's so it's many public. diagrams and stuff. I don't think he could do an audio book of a George Gamow. Well, you could still of, put up a P- e-book or a, true. You could put up a PDF, yeah, but you died in '68, so it would be Canadian public domain in the original. But the problem is, it's in translation, right? Oh, maybe not. He's born in Russia. I can't tell. No, no, he wrote in Born in Ukraine, okay. Yeah, he wrote in English. Oh, he's okay. like Asimov. <laughs> All right, yeah. All right, he wrote in English. So um, then, it is Canadian public domain. It's just a matter of uh, finding out if it's U.S. and getting a copy of it. Uh, it looks like there's some 
links that would be useful. So I'll dig into that later. All right. Um, before we do start on this, I want to just go through the list of upcoming shows. I know Terrence has been off off the uh, show for a while, <laughs> and Brian but is only I, intermittent. I was I was snowed under by um, uh, schoolwork, but um, they kept changing the programs and giving new duties to teachers. But now I'm retired. Hey, so now you have lots I'm of time. Oh. Well, good news. Um, so very very simple. Next week, the crawlers. That's uh, Philip uh, K. Dick's, um, Dick's story. abortion, yeah. abortion, abortions crawling around on the road and getting run over by farmers and trucks. Oh, story. yeah, it's going to be. Yep, gonna be that's a real story. Real fun. <laughs> um, who do else do we have on there? Do we, that um, is we, we, Scott we, Miller's we do not the narrator. Have a woman on this podcast, so I'm wondering. Yeah. Um, well, one of us we, can we, transition. We might, dupe, we might not be a little too <laughs> heavy for this part for this for this for the crawlers. Part. Yes. Well, uh, try and find a girl who will go on the show and enjoy it. I know. I I, I know, but you know, so it's, I'm, Marissa's I'm, I'm, hard I'm, to get. She's busy editing things. She would normally be a Philip K. Dick person. Yes. Yeah, spe- speaking of which, did you know that Marissa helped facilitate me selling a essay to Apex? I did not know that. Well, it's it'll, be, it'll be it'll be coming it'll be coming out uh, shortly, actually, in a few weeks. What's the essay on the topic of? You will have to just read the. Read, 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 read. I'll wait you for the audio book. Yep. Copy of Apex to and find I, out for yourself. I'm an audiobook guy, so I'll wait for the audio, or maybe you can sneak it to me. Um, let me uh, let me go on. We've got The Golden Slave by Paul Anderson. This is a novel, but it is not science fiction. It is a sword no, it, and sandal. Yeah, sword and sandals. Adjacent to fantasy, more like historical fantasy, historical romance. I'm not ready yeah. yet, but it's it's got a lady on a couch and a manservant standing over her, like having to do what he has to do because he's a slave or something. I don't know. Um, then we've got Four Day Planet by H. Beam Piper. I believe this is a short novel. Uh, we're going to do Odds On by Michael Crichton. Uh, I don't know. After that last one, I'm n- I'm not convinced this oh. is the best chance we'll see. Odd, odds that On will be was a, That last one was a big stinker. It it had a lot of stink, especially throughout the whole – everything after the introduction. However, mm-hmm. uh, this one's much shorter, and I think the problem You'll with that one was – All right. Who's into Piper there? All right, Brian. Brian Piper. says Bri- – Bri- Bri- yeah, come on. That's me. All right. Come, I'm come, typing come, in come, Brian's come name Piper on Piper. Um, all right. So on Piper, uh, there should be a word. Piperhead? <laughs> Dickhead, you know, Piperhead. Piperian. Piperian. <laughs> uh, wild Man of the Woods with a panpipe. I don't know. Uh, no. You have to be. You have to enjoy guns and libertarianism and something else <laughs> to be a pipe. Pipe. A uh, pipe smoker. How about that? <laughs> um, yeah. But you, you, you'll be happy to know, though, that in the Star Trek Adventures game I ran yesterday, the, the characters met characters. Met, met uh, NPCs from the Sword Worlds. Oh, right. Wow. So, yep, I, yep. I, I threw the Sword Worlds into a, my Star Trek. We just did what was the yes. uh, Viking, Space Viking? Yeah, we did Space Viking. Yes. So I thought, I'm going to put, I'm going to put the Sword Worlds into my Star Trek universe because why not? All right. So yep. um, after odds on is this, this might be of interest to Terrence and Brian, uh, Pirate Enlightenment or the real ah. Libertalia. I, another another posthumous David Graeber book. Apparently, this is like his fourth. <laughs> yeah, I'm count me in for that. All right, 
I think I heard a Terrence seal of approval there, too. Yes, David Gregory is good. I've never read any of his stuff, but I hear he's... he's oh, good. wow. Terrence and That could Ryan. be interesting. You, right. might, uh, you might start with uh, Bullshit Jobs, because that's... I, uh, I've heard a lot of, about that from Evan. Um, the, so, the debt book is really good. Uh, yeah, the debt book is really interesting. Well, I, I only yeah, have I time for stuff on the podcast, so we're going to do yeah, Breakthroughs in Science first, and then maybe we do a debt. You mean Power Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You said Breakthroughs in Science. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's the one I want to say next, which is pretty exciting. Breakthroughs in Science uh, by Isaac Asimov is not a novel. It's a collection of, uh, or it's a history of science through the people uh, in it. And I've got the audiobook. It's a uh, public domain, or the book is public domain. The audiobook is done by a friend of mine, Mike Vendetti. And it's a full length novel sized book. But it's uh, a history of science through individual uh, heroes of science. I've, I've already added myself to that one. All right, good. Yes. I cut my teeth on those Asimov essays on science and stuff. Yeah. So this is this, this is something we don't hear much from I, Asimov these days is nonfiction. Well, because well because he's passed away for one thing, and sadly, a lot of his uh, nonfiction has kind of been eclipsed. Or maybe it's just under copyright, and therefore nobody could do anything um, fun with it. Um, anyway, <laughs> moving along. Uh, only thing left uh, that's actually scheduled is Starborn by Andre Norton. Andre Norton. Yeah, so this is the back half. This is the dose of dose of a book we've done earlier. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but if, if you got it as an ace double, this would be the back side of that. So it's short. It's probably about three, four hours, five at the most. Um, I can't remember what the original, or it, maybe it was a Philip K. Dick. I guess I can look it up. But if you go to a used bookstore and you get yourself a nice ace double, uh, you would you would get two books in one. I mean, you you could go you could go to uh, In and Out Burger and get a double double, but that's a different thing. Uh, double double in Canada is two cream, two sugar. In, uh, double double in in uh, <clears throat> in and out is double burger. All right, and what's the other side? I don't see. Sorry, uh, we couldn't fetch that page. Okay, hit images. See if that comes up. Heading for the other side. Solar lottery? No, a planet for Texans. So. Oh yeah, we yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that's a, did, a piper did we did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a piper we did. So, Planet for Texans. Boy, that was a, f- a fun and interesting book. Um, uh, actually, not a great read. <laughs> no, I, I do. But a really interesting book. Um, Brian and Terrence will be interested in uh, how it came about. I'll just mention it briefly, and then I guess we can start. <laughs> um, uh, which Mencken, H.L. Mencken, wrote an essay uh, as an editorial uh, for one of his magazines, uh, I can't remember the name of it, in the 20s, I want to say, which is called, it's later collected as the Malevolent Job Holder. And the pre- the premise is, um, in ancient Prussia, <laughs> um, they used to have a court uh, that was parallel to the regular court system, uh, criminal court system, um, but it was for uh, politicians and job holders. Um, and, uh, it, 
you could be put on trial without any evidence. And uh, basically, the premise of the essay is that um, people should go up, or the premise of the novel takes from the premise of the essay, people should be able to go up and hit politicians, kill politicians, and then there's a trial to see if it was unjustified. <laughs> uh, so it puts the, uh, the presumption that um, people who have uh, political or um, uh, economic authority over others uh, in the name of a state um, get... It's basically like you carry your pistols around and it's, you don't like what the politician, uh, politician starts doing a, uh, illegal thing like trying to raise a law, uh, trying to have a, a law that will tax somebody. You can just shoot them. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then if there's this somebody. Com- Heinlein would like. Yes. It's very Heinlein like. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see why H. Beam Piper would love it too, right? So. Um, that essay is really fun and I'm going to do a reading short and deep on it with, uh, Eric when we schedule it for, oh, maybe it's next week. Um, it's a quite a short essay, but the novel's uh, a little less good, but it explores that idea on a planet for Texans. So, fun stuff. All right. Uh, <laughs> anybody got any other business before we begin? I have no business. No business. Okay. I just have to raise my chickens. Ah, well, I could send you some. Uh, well, it's my mom's really into chickens right now. Oh, so this novel is really up your alley. Right? I was sending. I tried to send her the audiobook, and she, she's stuck in the Apple ecosystem, and you know, she's got bad eyes. <laughs> so she's like, "There's only half an hour." I'm like, "No, it's not half hour." I, I said, "Try downloading in a different way." Maybe her phone only has room for half an hour, but she she said she was enjoying it. It makes sense; it's very chicken oriented. Well, so right. let, let's let's start talking about the book so we can actually stop. Uh, All yeah. right. Stop uh, saving the so podcast. what's it called? Uh, RC Sheriff. RC Sheriffs with two R's and two F's. Yep. And it's called Hopkins. Hopkins manuscript. Hopkins. There we go. Let's see if that brings up anything. It does. Apparently, he's got one other audiobook out, uh, The Fortnight in September. Apparently, that's quite a nice book, too. Although, not really SF at all. Just cozy. Mm. British cozy. British is, cozy. That, the, a lot of this book is that. Well, yes, but we should actually get recorded. All right, here we go. Talk about that. So, we're at, so Jesse. Jesse, Paul, Brian, Terrence. Sounds right. Okay. All right, my recorder's on, and it's working. Here we go. Good.